Hey, what's going on, everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and uh, who do I have with me here today? What's up, guys? It's Devin here, back again with Mod Chat with Mr. Mario. How you doing, man? What's up? Uh, I'm doing well. How is it going for you? It's going good. Life's busy, but, you know, keeps things exciting, so can't really complain too much. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, no, actually, Devin just came in here. Like, you, you you, got here maybe, like, 15 or 20 minutes ago, and then we've been doing, like, live talk and then also setting up and all this other stuff. So it's been fun, just, like, boom, boom, boom with everything. So that's why we're, like, two minutes late. But we're still here, so it's, this works out pretty well. Yeah, I know. I feel like we've broken streaks since I've been on here with being perfectly on time, but that's okay. Had to happen at some point, I guess. It, it, it had to happen. It's all good. You at least gave me a forewarning like 10 hours before the show that you were going to be coming here last minute, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I try and stick to it. I try and be, you know, give you a heads up, so I'm glad it worked out. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Looks like it did. Perfect. Anyways, uh, it looks like we have a list of topics here today, and for anybody who is uh, joining us either live stream or watching the pre-recorded video, or, you know, post video, or uh, listening to this, uh, welcome to Mod Chat, which this is a uh, monthly show where uh, myself, Mr. Mario, and uh, my partner here, Devin, uh, we normally just talk about any type of modding news, and then near the end we take some uh, user questions, feedback, whatever it is, if you're in the live section. If anybody's ever interested in getting in that and asking us some questions that we can potentially answer on here, here, um, you kind of have to catch a live show. Uh, so for live people, awesome. If you're someone who's strictly pre-recorded, I apologize. I know for like several people, uh, Dev, it's, uh, we're blessed enough to have users all over the world, but there's people who are, they're just like, I can't, I can't listen to the show. It's 3 a.m. when you guys start. Yeah, I know. It's a shame, but I, I can understand it because I listen to podcasts where they're actually hosted in the UK. So, um, I'm kind of used to it myself, so I understand, you know, every angle of it. Right, right. So for, for people overseas, we apologize. We, we're still trying to do... I, the best we could do is at least just put it out on as many platforms as possible and make it easy to watch and listen to. Yeah, no doubt. It's available on everything I listen to, so hope it's for the, the same for you. Yeah, same for me. Yeah, I just use Google Play Podcast, so works out for me. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I've actually been really partial to Pocket Casts. If anyone's looking for a good uh, podcast app on iOS or Android, Pocket Casts. So everyone's recommended that, but like my thing is it's just Google Play. It's easy. It's there. I already use it, and then I pay for it. And I saw Pocket Casts. I don't know if it has a free version, but it has a paid version. And I was like, eh, I'd just rather have everything in one app. Yeah, it doesn't uh, have a free version. Um, and honestly, I got Pocket Casts before. Um, before Google Play Music had podcasts at all. And um, I still would pay for it at this point, mainly because I have these smart playlists that are sorted in the order that I like with uh, the exact number of podcasts that I like, and I'm able to just hit play all. And whenever I open my podcast app, I can just continue hit, you know, with play, and it continues through my uh, playlists that I've set up uh, with all the different podcasts. Whereas Google Play Music, you have to deliberately go to this podcast listen to them and it'll go in succession for those podcasts, but you can't make a playlist. Yeah. It's kind of hit and miss with that as well too, but it's, it's basic enough where it's a basic and slightly advanced enough to the point where I can like, I can happily get my podcast, listen to them all in one app. So works out for me. Sure. Yeah. Yep. No doubt. Anyways, enough about podcasts. We should actually get to this podcast thing. And one of the first things we have here is, uh, Devin, do you want to take this? I know we talked about this uh, right before the show. And um, I know, Devin, you can give a bit more of better insight than I could because of your day job, thankfully. But uh, what is it that we're looking at here? Yeah, no, this is 
pretty exciting stuff. Um, so if you're in the scene at all, then you probably have heard about the re-switched release. Um, basically, there's uh, re-switch is a development team uh, specifically for the Nintendo Switch. I haven't looked into who the members might be, to be honest, but um, it sounds like a pretty solid group of guys. And they basically came out with a, uh, I, I guess it's like a, a website, a wiki that they're going to use to host uh, information and tools to progress Nintendo Switch um, homebrew development. Uh, this is not actually any custom firmwares, and I don't know if it ever will be. Um, really, they provided right now a bunch of tools to help developers get them in the right direction without spoiling too much for Nintendo, um, you know, so that we don't l miss out on any potential custom firmwares or future exploits. Uh, so it was a, it's a pretty good, it's a really good, you know, release, honestly. It's quite a comprehensive thing. And um, I've personally never seen anything like this be released to the public, at least, um, you know, nearly as complete. So I don't know. What did you think about it? Um, I think it's nice that we at least have this uh, development available here. Uh, one thing that a lot of people got kind of misconstrued is uh, people are thinking, oh, modding's finally happening, it's happening, where it's like, uh, it, it is to an extent, this is uh, definitely a good start, but um, even the team has come out and they've said, hey, uh, unless you're a homebrew developer, you're looking into this, uh, just glaze over this. This is not going to be for, you know, just a regular end user who just wants to run a little bit of homebrew or um, start, you know, doing anything else that requires third-party code. But I'm definitely impressed that, I mean, the Switch came out this year and we already have some robust stuff, ro excuse me, robust stuff like this coming out. Right, right, right. Um, so, like I said, there was quite a few tools that came out. Um, so, do you care if I start going through several of them and kind of giving it a high-level overview? Oh, please do. Um, I'm actually sharing the screen for them as well, too. So, uh, you can talk about them, and I can kind of show them on screen. Yeah, sure. So, um, the thing at the top of the list of releases was Pegaswitch 3.0. Um, We've heard a bit about Pega Switch, and truth be told, I haven't tried to use anything with it because I haven't had a Switch that was firmware compatible with any of the Pega Switch stuff. But essentially, what it is, it's a um, like the website describes, an exploitation toolkit for the Switch OS 2.0 through 3.0. Um, so, if you're within those firmware versions, the uh, your console is exploitable with this. Um, it also describes with complete support for IPC, which I did a little bit of research into. And essentially that means uh, we have some control over some of the background processes, it sounds like. Um, a brand new API, which is probably just something to enable users to leverage the exploits uh, a little bit more. Uh, we've seen some releases utilizing this to do several different things already. So I believe that's what they're using. And automatic gadget hunting, which truth be told, I'm not exactly sure what that is. Um, it could be talking about a ROP tool chain. Um, I'm not. I'm not too sure, but uh, it really kind of opens the door for consoles two to three uh, and more of a user land aspect. It's. Not, I don't think it's quite kernel access. Um, it doesn't really give us custom firmware or anything yet, but it does uh, give us uh, quite a bit of flexibility for, you know, just starting out. I mean, only half a year into the system's life cycle. Absolutely. 
The uh, second thing here on the list is libtransistor, which is an open source SDK for the Switch. Um, if you don't know what an SDK is, it's a source development kit. So this really enables easy development for homebrew applications. Um, it's, you know, we've had seen open source tool chains for different platforms before, or we will use a tool chain that was like leaked um, internally from Nintendo or something like that, which is always, you know, kind of controversial because the software is technically illegal that you produce with it. So it's really nice to see an SDK that's open source that's out this early. Um, so there's no worry about that. And hopefully people can contribute to this and make it even better. So by the time really development gets in full swing and we are starting to get a lot more uh, coming out of the community, it'll be uh, a lot more seasoned, you know, feature rich and we'll be able to see, you know, good quality software right off the bat. Right. And in tandem with the SDK and developing software, they also released uh, a piece of software called Mephisto, which is essentially an emulator for, for the Switch. Uh, don't get your hopes up in terms of like emulating actual Switch games. This is really for non-game binaries. Um, I don't know the technicalities on how they verify this or why games are not supported currently, but this is really for testing homebrew that you're developing for the console, um, which is really nice, to be honest. Um, if it's high performing, and I'm sure if it's not perfect, it'll get better you know, over time. Uh, it just makes developing software for the Switch that much easier. You don't have to necessarily export this to your actual console and test it on the console whenever you make a change to some software. You can test it on the fly on the computer you're using to develop on, um, which is kind of a paradigm that, you know, desktop developers or, uh, you know, mobile application developers really have the luxury of these days. So it's really nice to see that kind of advancement for the Switch as well. And I'm sure it was no small feat to get uh, to this point. So while it may not be useful for end users, you can't emulate games or anything like that, um, it's a, invaluable for developers. Yeah, th this is, I mean, this is the stuff that's going to help developers make the things that end users want anyway. So, I mean, really all we need is time right now. Right. And I could see a lot of developers being interested in uh, making software for the Switch in this manner. And, you know, if you don't have the right development environment, you don't have a good SDK, a good emulator, you may turn off people who otherwise might bring really good software to the scene. So it definitely benefits everybody. Yeah. Going down the list here, um, one of the last things here is, I'm not really sure how you would pronounce this, SWIPC. Um, basically, it seems to be a spec for IPC messages, which, um, as I previously mentioned, IPC protocols are, I believe, the way that we interface with these background services and uh, manipulate them. So I think this is a spec that can be used across various different technologies. Um, such as Pegaswitch to be able to interact with those messages um, and probably in an easier manner that you would normally have to. It's probably um, a library that just takes all the hard work out of it. 
Right. I'm I'm just uh I've just been scrolling on here and just kind of loading up all the interface. I'm not going to show them all on here, of course, but uh Oh, it's neat. I uh this one the fourth one I honestly don't know all that much about and thank you Devin for giving those really awesome descriptions right there, but just especially hearing, you know, the last one was it Mephesto or something. Um this is a really kick-ass thing that homebrew developers are going to be able to get. Um, like you said, too, the nice thing is when it comes to the legality of the situation as well, um, let me go ahead and stop screen sharing and stuff. Uh, when it comes to that, because uh, you'd mentioned the Switch SDK being leaked out, and it was a uh, pre-release version as well, too. Um, but in short, the reason why like uh, this causes you know some illegal things is, yes, developers do use the SDK, um, like Switch game developers. Uh, but what happened is somebody got that SDK and then leaked it out that if anybody develops any homebrew with that SDK and they're not authorized through Nintendo and they're not going through Nintendo for that, um, then it becomes troublesome. That's where, you know, software could get DMCA'd and such, um, which we've seen before. Uh, so this will definitely turn on a lot of homebrew developers, I feel like, for all of this. Um, but then we'll also, uh, one of the other things I was going to mention, I was going to have to think back on this. Um, did you know that when the Switch SDK got leaked out, uh, the people who were working on uh, Pegasus Switch and like re-switched and other, you know, homebrew developers in the scene here uh, were in a way kind of just blacklisting anybody they find out who owned it. Oh, no, I didn't hear about that. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of another thing, like these homebrew developers, they are strictly wanting to do homebrew. They want to do it as clean as they can. Um, and then, of course, you know, if you're talking to someone, let's say you collaborate with someone and they do have unauthorized access to the SDK, uh, then you can get in trouble there with everything. So they're trying to make sure everything is clean room coding, all that stuff, which I can respect. Um, but yeah, no, in short, if any of these people, like if you know something but they find out that you have the SDK. They, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to know about it. They're not trying to figure out any of that. Right. And I think, you know, for good reason, like you've obviously detailed. Um, and obviously, I'm sure those same developers knew that this was coming. They, you know, very well may have helped on it. So um, it's incredible to see this kind of progress so early on. And it may not, you know, make as many headlines. It may not be as exciting to the end user because you're not getting anything in your hands but get, this is something for the long game right with this kind of foundation you don't have a couple developers that are just running things and you're relying on them you're not locked into anything you're not you know this is opens the gates for a good future um and if some of these guys eventually abandon the project it's all open source and so it can continue on, you know, um, maybe it won't, but with the right developers and the right community, this could really make a huge difference for a long time to come. Yeah, no, I'm definitely excited to see what homebrew comes from this SDK set. So to anybody who wants to start development on switch, I say, try and, uh, try and pick one up. Now, if you get one new, it's definitely going to be on a exploitable firmware. And, uh, this is something exciting to definitely play around with. Um, 3.0 right now as we're recording this, which is October 25th, 2017, it's not that old of a firmware. So I think we're good on that. Mm. Uh, one thing I just saw your yeah. comment here as well too, are we getting crazy echo at all? Um, I had to tone down my voice just a smidge because if I talk at the volume I want to, I hear my I hear myself decently well. Okay, but, that's manageable. 
I think it's manageable. I don't know. Okay. Maybe the people in the chat can yell at us if it's no uh, one's complained about terrible. any echo yet. So sorry, this is this is not a switch related thing. This is podcast related. <laughs> um, I do want to round off their uh, team reswitch uh, post. They have one more <clears throat> announcement there. Excuse me, um, which is just incredible that we've been talking this long on this one like blog post. Um, but basically, the reswitch team announced that they have a, a userland exploit that essentially prepares them to be able to execute arbitrary code. So um, this doesn't really get us homebrew just yet, but we're close. Essentially what happens, I looked into the details, the exploit is called Rohan, capital R-O, lowercase h-a-n, and it's uh, manipulating, I believe, the RO service. And essentially, it is able to turn off signature checks, which uh, if you're you know, in the scene at all, then you know that uh, signature checks are really what prevent us from running homebrew and kind of just any code that we want to that's not officially Nintendo's or whoever's. Um, so this disables signature checks, however, we need uh, some kind of a ROP or JOP chain, uh, which I don't know too much about. I get a general idea, but uh, we need some kind of further exploit to actually be able to execute this code uh, in some manner because we can't install things onto the home screen yet. We don't have a lot of those luxuries. So um, we're really close. They released this. It's out in the public. can be worked on. Um, it's for... Switch 3.0 and below, and I believe it's actually utilizing the exploit that was the major exploit that was patched um, after 3.0 that we talked about in one of the previous podcasts. Uh, are you talking about SM hacks or like service manager yeah. hacks? Yeah. Okay, I haven't heard of Rohan, but I've heard of SM hacks. Like we discussed that before. Right. Um, yes, on the page here, uh, Rohan is an exploit to enable userland arbitrary code execution on Switch OS 3.0. It works due to Nintendo's code making a number of assumptions that don't hold when SMH, which is that service, uh, is in play. So this is utilizing the exploit that was patched. Perfect. So uh, again, get an exploitable uh, system if you want to do this. Yep. So... Um, Lots of stuff coming. I think I need to buy another Switch, which really... Oh, gosh. <laughs> There's been all kinds of stuff, man. Weddings, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of payments. I, I understand. I've, uh, my, my, my personal life has kind of like slowed down a little bit now, so it's it's nice. For a bit, it was kind of just traveling everywhere and stuff. It's, it, it might ramp, yeah. ramp back up to that again, but no, I'm, I'm happy I could just stream here in the comfort of my own home with my dog that is running around somewhere. I don't know where she is. Right. That hotel Wi-Fi wasn't bad, though. I mean... Dude, I got 10 up and down on that. Yeah, no, that's like the best internet I've had at a hotel. Some people <laughs> might be saying, oh, 10 up and down is not that good. No, hotel internet's not that good. Like right. two up and down is normally what I'm used to at a hotel. Yeah, no, kilobits are not unheard of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyways, I know we think we've talked about the re-switched release probably for long enough. Really exciting stuff. Al. Um, I can't wait to see more come out of this. This is so exciting. Absolutely. With that, though, do you uh, do you mind if I take uh, some else here that is uh, related to re-switched? 
I guess so. Yeah, go for it. You take it. All right. So uh, I'll go ahead and have to share my screen on this as well, too. But uh, this one person, Jam1 Garner, almost said Gamer, but it is Garner. Um, he ended up sharing this. Uh, he ended up creating a, um, what is it? He ended up creating a uh, script that utilizes uh, Pegaswitch and everything. So if you have all that set up, if you have a switch that is exploitable on firmware 3.0 optimally, uh, he even said script I wrote for system setting time for flog. I wasn't able to launch it before and got it first try after. If you look at the image right here that is blown up on my screen, uh, you can kind of see the exploit code running in the background. And then his date and time is synced up to the internet and it is set to 7-11-2017 at 8.32 in the morning. When this was when this was tweeted out, it was October 3rd of 2017 at 10.04 p.m. at night. Uh, now, for anybody who has either followed us or you uh, listened to Mod Chat episode uh, 32, uh, this is important because Flog, flip it backwards, is golf. It is a Nintendo emulator that is built into every single Switch, and uh, it has a copy of Golf on it, not just a regular Nintendo version of Golf. It has been retooled for the Switch, so it uses the Joy-Cons and motion controls and everything. And uh, the way you have to unlock it is you have to do a... Um, what The the motion that Iwata used to do. Uh, was it straight to you? I'm, I'm butchering it right now, but directly uh, to yeah, you? Yeah, I forget what it's called. But... It was directly to you. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. No, so you have to do that motion with the Joy-Con, and then you're able to load it up. Uh, some people might be thinking, I just have to recap this for anybody that doesn't know. Some people might be thinking, why don't you just change the date and time in your system? Uh, if you've ever taken your Switch online, uh, it's not going to be fooled that easily. So unless you run this script, the only way you can ever get this to work is if you sync up your Switch to the internet and you do it on this day and you have 24 hours to run it. Uh, but now again, if you have everything set up and you have a switch on firmware 3.0, you can get this script right here, you can run it and it will set your time directly on there. Right, so um, like you had mentioned, it's actually using Pegaswitch. This looks to be like yes. a, almost like they forked it and then they have a, a script that it just executes whenever you uh, run it. So, um, I'm yeah, guessing that's, that's what I'm using the, the API and possibly some IPC messages to actually like utilize some system services to reset this clock. Um, so it's not quite as complicated as your typical homebrew, which we still can get, but it is really neat to see that we can do this in the first place. Absolutely. No, I thought that was a really cool way to uh, to utilize this, to have, you know, a type of release for people. Um, I need to try and run it at one point. That'd be neat to see, because I have access to an exploitable switch, which is nice on there. I uh, just need to go in and, you know, get everything running and stuff and sorted. But uh, this is, th this made me smile. In short, this really made me smile. I thought this was a really awesome release. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we've talked about uh, this vlog game before here on the show, but just the game itself is really cool. I'd love to play it too. I mean that game with motion controls. I mean, that's just a, that's a curious thing in itself. Absolutely. Um, and it's kind of, it bums me out because we missed the date. We had like an opportunity to actually play this game on the day and no one knew about it yet. Um, didn't you, was it you or was it someone else who told me that there was a forum where somebody had predicted this? They said, because we knew about the golf emulator from the beginning or the Nintendo emulator from the beginning, uh, once the switch started getting reversed, but wasn't it somebody who 
had said they're like, hey, this is probably going to be the way to do it. This is it will probably be something related to Iwata. This is probably going to be the way you have to do it. And people are making fun of them. And they're just like, no, that's stupid. That's stupid. Nintendo wouldn't do that. And there was apparently one person who was able to unlock it on there, but everyone said that he was faking it. Well, there was at least one report of the game. Like, someone had the game and they're just like, I don't know what happened. This golf game showed up on my Switch. And everyone was just like, I don't understand. That's confusing. And no one knew what to make of it. And then when they started digging into the code, which is months later, you know, just a month ago or, or so, and um, they were digging in the code and they found stuff like, you know, bits of things that l- were alluding to this date and like the, that was the date of Iwata. And so they started piecing things together. I'm not sure if they knew about the hand gesture until the very end, but um yeah, no, they started, they, they pieced it together in a really interesting way where it was just like, I don't know, it, it was almost like some kind of a discovery thing, like an investigation, you know what I mean? Like this next piece, which leads to a water, which leads to this, and next thing you know, we're actually doing these motions with the Wiimotes. Yeah, no, because it, it was there for a while, and it was even, people had figured out how to unlock it, you know, using exploits and stuff, and uh, they had showed it running, and there were developers that were saying, hey, we got it running here, it works, it exists, uh, we did we we ha- kind of had to do it a hacky way so we didn't unlock it naturally but we don't know how the hell to unlock this normally but it's sitting there it's playable yeah i'm just, i'm really glad that we figured it out and we didn't have to wait a whole another year so uh the next time this is available i'm gonna be on it we playing flog all day yes me too i'm trying <laughs> anyways uh next uh, Any- next topic here yeah, sure. Do you want me to start this one off, or do you want to? Uh, I'll go ahead and let you do this. Uh, I will kind of intro it and say that uh, Devin and I actually, I kind of, uh, this was a week or two ago, um, I hung out with him and uh, kind of, well, just, you know, as a hangout catch-up thing as well, because, you know, we're buddies and stuff, and that's what people are supposed to do, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm not, I, is that what you're supposed to do? I have no idea. Point is on there. We, uh, we decided to hang out. And uh, at one point I did say, I was like, hey, I want to talk to you about this topic that we're about to get into. Um, because Devin knows since he's been a developer and such, uh, and you've been a, Devin, your, your developer background has been fucking awesome on this episode, I have to say. Um, so thank you very much for making that life choice and uh, having that be your day job there. Uh, but because he's done this, um, he definitely knows a good amount about licensing and i was like i don't know too much about licensing here so we talked about it a little bit but i kind of like to bounce this off you here so i could come to the table and kind of know what i'm talking about in a way um but with that i'll go ahead and let you take this yeah sure um so basically um if you've ever heard of RetroPie or the emulation station, um, or even many of the emulators that you use on a daily basis, uh, they use a kind of back end called RetroArch. Um, this is a combination of Linux software along with um, emulator kind of, uh, they call them cores, which are essentially from what I believe just kind of like the a open source BIOS and software required to run different consoles. So it's kind of a plug and play mechanism. So you can um, build up this multi emulator system uh, really easy, all open source uh, and all GPL licensed. Um, GPL is a license specifically for open source software. If you've not heard of it or aren't familiar with it, and it has a few restrictions. 
One of those being, if you have the software, you have to release all the code, or if you use the software or fork it, you have to release all the code for anything that you release publicly, um, and a few other restrictions around it to basically protect users' freedoms, and um, so people can't just run away with code and steal it. So basically, uh, maybe you can give a little bit more description on the console itself. I'm a little familiar with it. I know it's a uh, crowdfunding campaign of sorts or something like that. Absolutely. So right here, uh, I'm going to load this up. Uh, we have the CD system, which is, is the CD retro gaming system. The cool thing about this right here is, yes, it is a little emulator box. It is probably about 100, 100 some. Well, let's see. You know, they were um, at least having these backings here for like $125. Uh, but it comes with this little device right here, and it comes with a controller. If you want the controller, you don't need it. Uh, some people might be saying, hey, that looks like it has a disk drive. It does have a disk drive. The crazy thing about this is it is a little emulator box where, unlike other things such as if you set up a Raspberry Pi 3, or uh, any type of Raspberry Pi with um, uh, with RetroPi, which, as Devin said, uses uh, Emulation Station. RetroArch uses these cores. Uh, you have to put all the games and stuff on a flash drive or on a micro SD card or an SD card of some kind. Uh, the cool thing about this is it gives you that little retro feel of, yes, it's all emulation, but you can actually take a CD and pop it in there, and it will play directly off the disc. Um, they're supposed to support dumping as well, too. They're also supposed to support, you know, popping in uh, external storage and playing off that if you really want to. At its core, uh, I know Metal Jesus Rocks did a video about this, um, but at its core, if you take it apart, it's really just a, uh, like, slimline laptop-style DVD reader. Uh, writer, I guess, too, here, technically. Uh, but it's just supposed to be a DVD reader, and uh, it also has a orange pie inside of it running everything. Uh, now, this thing, to me, at least looks cool. Some people have been freaking out and saying, oh, no, it's useless, blah, blah, blah. I think it's cool that you can at least take your original discs, pop them in there, play them directly off the disc. Uh, for support, it has PlayStation 1, Neo Geo CD, TurboGrafx CD, Sega CD, DOS PC games, and it says more. Uh, I think it's also supposed to do cartridge-based games as well, too. Uh, of course, you need to either put them on external storage or you might have to get a um, extension of some kind to run cartridges. And I believe that is a thing that you could do on there. Uh, I keep talking about this. So some people might be saying, what does this have to do with licensing? Well, it uses RetroArch. Um, that's what's used on here. And uh, one thing that they've kind of come under some controversy for is they're using RetroArch against uh, the developers' permissions. Uh, so the people, uh, LibRetro, the people who make RetroArch have made this twit longer. And uh, essentially what happened is when this was coming up, uh, well, when this uh, was in production, like prototyping phase, it's not to production, but when it was in the prototyping phase, um, the developers here reached out to the creators of LibRetro and said, hey, uh, we would like to use your software on our product here and we would like to resell it we believe this is within uh the licensing agreement that you guys distribute and uh we're going to play along with that and is is that cool with you we just want to do it with your with your blessing and lib retro came out and said no we we don't give you permission to do this we don't want you to do this so uh the cd team said okay we respect that totally fine uh they end up coming back later months later and said hey so 
things changed. Uh, we're actually going to go forward with this product. We're going to crowdfund it. If it's successfully crowdfunded, we're going to develop it in mass for production. We're going to sell it. And we are going to be using RetroArch, even though you explicitly told us not to. The reason being is that you guys are under the GPL license. And if we abide by the GPL license, we can take your product and put it into our product and sell it for profit, not just your, you know, your software, uh, but sell along, like sell our product with your software loaded on it for profit for commercial use and everything. Um, and we believe this falls within the confines of our licensing agreement. We're going to abide by that. So even <laughs> the developer here, he uh, he had some uh, some funny things to say. Uh, he was saying, this kind, this is the kind of trailer trash slime you have to deal with as a project lead on, as project lead on a consistent basis. Having some no name, no reputation, fraudulent entrepreneurs repeatedly throw it in your face how they intend to go against your wishes and do this or that, setting themselves up as the head of some new venture. These guys harass you in your free time and tell you all the ways they want to exploit your software for personal self-gain. There's no sincerity or morality to be detected in people like this. All they care about is making a quick buck at your expense. This is a problem the open source community has to start dealing with seriously open source i think is not going to last in a race to the bottom economy with all sorts of cd entrepreneurs misusing abusing and manhandling projects that they have not lifted so much as a finger on themselves and with no organizations really providing any kind of protection to prevent abuse so kind of zooming out on here uh Devin, it, it sounds a lot like the developers might be a little bit salty they've released this with gpl license and it seems like CD might be abiding by that, right? That's kind of what it looks like. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot more, it's a lot more complicated. G GPL isn't the most simple thing to begin with, but um, kind of. Right. So there's multiple aspects here that make this a lot more complicated than even your average open source piece of software. Um, first of all, asking for permission verbally is not necessary for this kind of thing. This was uh, the company originally trying to do a good gesture, just like you had kind of said, trying to get some kind of blessing, if you will. Um, the fact that they said no was not because they just didn't want them to use their software because they were mad because they were making money. It's actually not a, a problem at all. And like they kind of mentioned, in true GPL fashion, that's not a problem. I can fork the Linux kernel, which is licensed with the GPL. I can put it in a product and sell it just like every Android phone out there. Uh, but I have to release the source code to my changes to that kernel. As long as you follow those rules, there's not a problem. The real problem here is that uh, RetroArch or the team behind it, LibRetro, realized that there was a lot of software that also wasn't GPL licensed that was in there. In fact, it was licensed differently um, and specifically licensed so that it was not available for commercial like use at all. Um, and these are the cores that were mentioned a little while ago. Um, so they're essential to get these uh, emulators working. You could rewrite them if you wanted to. I mean, I'm sure there's APIs to interface with these cores. So anyone with enough time and skill could rewrite them but that's too hard. Um, the uh, the LibRetro team did mention this specifically in their email too, and it seems like 
the uh, the team behind the console just kind of brushed over it. They didn't really address the fact that they were using these cores that were specifically not licensed with the GPL. So uh, they have stated that they're proceeding forward, and uh, you know who knows what's going to happen from here. The one downside to the GPL and kind of licensing your code like this, or just like code licensing in general, is the fact that the only legal binding it has is really if you sue someone. So yes, you can legally threaten someone like, hey, you can't do this, this is illegal. But if they say, okay, so what? Sue me. That's about your only option. And that's expensive. Yeah, it's not something that people can easily do, especially like an open source project. Libretro is not some big company. I don't know how many developers there have. I'm not going to speak for them. Um, they don't do an insignificant amount of work by any means, but that does not mean they have capital to just spend on suing people for misusing their software. So it is a bit of a shame. After looking into it, it seems like CD, the CD emulation console is really up to some shady stuff. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. It really is a bummer. I don't think it's going to have quite the impact to the open source community that this person says, and I know they weren't intending it to be for this one console, but it, it's kind of one of those, this is why we can't have nice things. Things. Right, right. Now I'm looking into, uh, I'm looking at this one too. I want to see what uh, other types of cartridges they use here. I'm seeing that there is a, uh, oh, it does look like there is a Genesis cartridge. So just kind of looking on this here, uh, Genesis, Game Boy, also in the works for uh, Genesis Super Nintendo Control as well. That's just a, uh, uh, let's see. The the thing that I'm kind of questioning on here, I haven't looked into the core specifically. Um, but RetroArch is, you know, as we said, it's redistributed with these cores. In short, you know, the cores are what really makes RetroArch do its magic. Uh, some of these cores explicitly say, this can be redistributed for free, all this other stuff, but it is non-commercial use. Uh, meaning you can't you can't do what this is doing right here, where you can't if if the core has that. Like I don't know which ones they are personally, but like the PlayStation Core, it might not have this issue. Uh, I know one of them was the uh, SNES uh, SNES 9X or the Super Nintendo Core that is most commonly used. Uh, that core specifically is under that license where it is non-commercial. Um, so if they make Super Nintendo compatibility available on here, they're probably going to be using that core because I don't know why they would want to rewrite a core or write one from scratch. They're probably not going to do that. They're probably not going to put that effort in. Um, and then they would be violating the agreement right there. Uh, not really directly with RetroArch, but more from that core itself. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens on that. Uh, I know that Metal Jesus Rocks, he did come under fire for this. Um, and he had said that he talked with uh, the head of Lib Retro, and uh, the only thing I really know directly off it is that they talked for a couple hours, and uh, that le the head of Red Lib Retro just wanted to really publicly come out and say, "Hey, we don't endorse this product. We're not affiliated with it." Um, he didn't say anything like, "Hey, we're going to sue. Hey, we absolutely hate your guts, whatever it might be." Uh, but he he did that have that twit longer post, which I read, you know, his blurb at the end, uh, and they're just trying to distance themselves from the project. Uh, at this point, it kind of seems like they're just saying, "Hey, look, uh, we don't agree with what they're doing. We think it's pretty shitty. We we don't support it." Um, 
I guess really the the advice that I can give here is uh, there's going to be people that will buy this if it comes out. Um, I think it looks like a neat system. It's probably going to get funded. It's looking like it's going to. Uh, but if you don't support it, don't buy it. That's what I can recommend on that. Sure. Vote for your dollar or, or with your dollar rather. Um, you know, th this kind of thing really makes a difference. Uh, it's not, a, they're not a big company. That's why they're on like a crowdfunding campaign. So, uh, if you don't support it, if you like open source software, which really fuels a lot of this stuff. I mean, we just talked all about this open source software right, right before this, you know, some of this stuff is invaluable. If you really appreciate that and respect developers that put in their time and work for it, I have a hard time recommending this product at all. All right. I, uh, I know one thing I kind of want to top off with on this was, um, We've we've talked about you know the cores and the licensing and everything and uh, it doesn't look like anyone in the chat has pointed this out which if you, if you haven't picked up that's totally fine uh, I know uh, Kiwi he's recommending you know he's saying they could just not install them allow the end user to uh, install and that would avoid the binding and that's kind of what I talk about a little bit I know one thing one way they're avoiding it as well too is most emulators do this um, some of these emulators mainly the PlayStation emulator require BIOS so they're just not including BIOS on the system. Um, understandable enough, but uh, I'd heard about this before, and I did check and I verified, and it looked like the Retro Five, like the Retron Five, excuse me. Um, the Retron Five was actually guilty of this as well. Um, I'll try and share again here, but uh, Lib Retro did a write-up on their site talking about non-commercial. Uh, this is from three years ago, but they said Hyperkin's Retro Five continuing licensing problems, uh, and in short, it's not even just the licensing right there. Uh, but they might even be uh, violating a few other things as well, too. Uh, it's definitely a good read, uh, but mainly the takeaway I want to say on this is, um, you know, even if this licensing is, like, people are saying, hey, this might not, it might be shitty, it might not be right, and I agree with you, uh, the Retron 5 is still being produced, it's still being sold, and I, if they change the cores to something that is licensable for commercial use, cool, but it went on for quite a while with these non-commercial cores and was being sold in stores. Yeah, um, sounds like a very similar issue here. Uh, it was kind of a shame, too, because in this blog post, they detail that Hyperkin had like responded to some of their uh, messages they had sent off to them, and Hyperkin basically was like, yeah, we are using that. Here's proof that we're using that. <laughs> We don't care. I mean, at least uh, the CD guys were like, just kind of, it went over their head. They're just like, you're including cores that you can't. And they're just like, but GPL, bro. So like, I don't know. I don't want to give them any credit, but Hyperkin straight up said, yeah, no, that's, that's true. I don't care. <laughs> like, goodbye. <laughs> so, um, and they also mentioned another thing, which, uh, I'm not sure if the CD system, you know, follows the the same thing, but basically the Hyperkin uh, was running GPL software for RetroArch, and part of uh, the GPL software, um, which ties into the whole user freedom thing, you know, knowing what's installed on your software, being able to uh, modify that software, and being able to change that software that's already installed. So... Um, the Hyperkin did not let you change the software that was on there, you know, out of the box. It was locked down, uh, which the GPL code calls Tivoization. 
which goes back to TiVo's using Linux and GPL code uh, without letting users replace that code. So TiVo is pretty much abusing the GPL for their own gain in a similar fashion, but on a larger scale. Right. And that's been, uh, I mean, that's been known about for a while as well, too. And actually, I didn't even hear about TiVo until I was reading up on this recently. Well, like, I'd heard about it, but I haven't heard about it in so many years. <laughs> right. It's been a while. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it, this is all a shame. Um, I really, I hope the community votes with their dollar. You know, I understand that there's going to be some average folks out there that see this and are like, wow, that's really cool. I want that in my house, play some retro games. But I know a lot of the people that are getting these are people who can at least understand this kind of, uh, this situation, you know, you know, these people are nerds. Hopefully you can understand that other nerds put in their hard work for this and they're not getting their fair share or respect really. Yeah, but the entrepreneurs there, I mean, they're wanting to just get all that money, which if you're an entrepreneur, cool. It's just, it's kind of, some people will just do, it's weird how much shady stuff you can do and it's still legal. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, and again, you know, the GPL and licensing and all this comes back to the fact that it, it really doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it's not effective unless you sue someone. So it's a real big barrier there. Yeah. I know uh, there's one, a few comments I want to pick out here. Uh, Voltar, and hey, Voltar, welcome. Uh, he was saying Hyperkin was using an emulator that doesn't fall under any GPL distributional uh, licensing. Um, so that's that's something to think about as well. Hyperkin's just doing some, some shady stuff. <laughs> so... Um... One other thing, I don't know if this is the situation that he's talking about, but licensing is also really interesting and kind of weird in the fact that I could write some open source code, uh, release it on GitHub or something, totally public, but if I don't include any license, it's technically copywritten. And therefore, with copywritten, you cannot use it for anything. So even though it's public, it's available, it's it looks open source. It's not really, not in the sense that you're thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and then especially when it comes to taking it and bundling it into something that you're selling. Correct. I mean, it's good for like the fact like, oh, I'm releasing this software. And if you're concerned about your privacy and you want to verify I'm not doing anything shady in the software, you can read the software code. You can verify that, but you can't use it. So um, licensing is a complicated thing that, as far as I know, can really only be enforced by suing. And who wants to do that? <laughs> yeah no the uh the other thing here it's not directly related to licensing but uh uh d stopper that's how i'm gonna say your name uh, he was asking is it any better than uh pi 3 so assuming he's talking about you know setting up a uh, retro pi on a raspberry pi 3 uh that i do not know i know at least from uh the video that metal Jesus rocks had done um i was pretty impressed with the playstation emulation um some of it was pretty awesome some of it was kind of missed as well too um really i think the worst one i had seen on there was with um which one was it like with ms dos games which that's kind of understandable um i did say on there that i was pretty impressed with what i saw uh, and that was more because it was working with a orange pie um so I thought that was interesting, at least. Um, I haven't worked with an orange pie specifically. I just know that normally the 
Pi 3 is kind of the go-to out there, but the Orange Pi is pretty similar in many aspects, just cheaper and it's going to be less powerful. Is it a totally different like brand? Yeah. Oh, I haven't heard of that. Yeah, no, I know it's it's been used for some lower level things, even like this, for example. So it's um, I'll need to check out some of these other little computers as well too. I've just messed with uh with Pies personally. Yeah, I mean, you know, if they're done right, they're all the same kind of. You know, they you're just an ARM Linux uh lap or not laptop but computer. So I mean. It would be nice to find one that's really good for emulation, I think. But I just got my Pi 3 after having like one of the original Raspberry Pis. So I'm excited to actually play around with that and see how, how powerful it is. Right. I've been I, I've been happy with it so far. Um, I just haven't used mine all too much because uh, you know I'd set I'd set it up and such, and I played around with it a bit. Uh, but then sometimes I would get annoyed just like going in and. Uh, configuring everything individually or just messing around with some things and uh, i think uh, my thing is i like more taking the original hardware modifying it and pulling the best signal and stuff i can out of it uh, as opposed to emulation but i absolutely think emulation is awesome and kick ass and when done properly is great um i think the pi 3 it's a cute little you know cute little device that you can set up and put RetroPie on there, of course, or do anything with. Uh, some people are trying to say, oh, it's only $35. It's, I'm kind of going off on tangent here. I just said, some people say it's only $35. They don't really factor in all the other stuff you have to uh, pay for and get on that. Um, but it's a fun pet project to do. Um, and then again, of course, just some emulation on there is kind of iffy and others is pretty awesome depending on what you're doing. Uh, either way, though, I've kind of it's it's been fun enough where I checked it out. I messed with it for a bit, and I was like, okay, I'll just kind of go back to my native hardware. Yeah, I can understand that. And for me, like, I don't actually have a lot of old consoles anymore. I've been meaning to do this for a while, and I believe in total I spent 134 bucks for the Pi, a case, HDMI cable, memory card. Um, Two Bluetooth SNES style controllers. Uh, what else? Like the power adapter for it. Um, basically, the entire setup for this to run uh, old school games and have two controllers. And it's about 134 bucks. So, no, it's not just $35, but I feel like that's not really that bad for how flexible the console is. Mm hmm. I also think there's been a lot of people who've kind of complained about the performance on it as well, too, with a few things and saying, oh, you know, it's it, th this doesn't work very well and all this other stuff. It's like, well, it's also a $35 computer. Like, on, on the positive side, it's $35. Negative side, it's $35. So um, I'm also of the belief, too, you probably have a more powerful computer sitting in front of you. You could use that for emulation pretty easily. Eh, but I, it's not even close to my computer. And I want to... I am a social gamer. Like a lot of time when I actually play games is with people when they come over and I'm playing Mario Kart or playing, you know, hopefully the new Super Mario Odyssey soon. Tomorrow. Um, Tomorrow. Uh, yeah. I need to get it preloaded. I need to go like uh, get it preordered from the eShop and let it download. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, so sitting in front of my computer is just, it's, it doesn't feel right. And having someone come like pull up a chair next to me on my computer, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, it's for other really, things. Really long HDMI cable. That'd be a really, really long one. It'd be a really long HDMI cable. It'd be a really long one. It would be a really long HDMI cable. I don't want that. <laughs> no, thank you. 
So I'm happy with the pie. We'll see how I, you know, maybe on the next mod chat, I'll give a, a minor update on how I'm liking it. Sure. Let me know. And also I just realized in my, uh, in my state right here, I'll be honest. If I seem slightly distracted, it's because I'm hungry and my dog is like coming over here, but, uh, no, it's coming out day after tomorrow. So, uh, Odyssey is tomorrow. Oh, yeah. I guess if you, if you want to look optimistically at it, and, you know, you're getting it in a time zone where it will come out at like nine or 10 or 11 PM for you, as opposed to getting it midnight on the East coast. Yep. So, uh, it'll be out Friday, which is, yeah, two days from now. I don't know, man. My week has been so crazy. <laughs> I'm just as confused on the day as you. So, but anyways, uh, should we move on? Uh, talk about some, some PlayStation things a little bit. Absolutely. So, uh, some big PlayStation news right here. Uh, in short, fail overflow came out and they said the first PS4 kernel exploit, I do. And uh, I'm, I know I probably butchered that. It's all good. Um, but it works. It's a kernel exploit, in short, that works on firmwares up to 4.05. Um, so now the nice thing is, uh, for a while, you know, we've just had a public kernel exploit running on uh, firmware 1.76. Uh, we've had some other little pockets of information, like 3.5, 3.55. We've had uh, little tests for exploits as well, too, that have come public. I mean, there's a lot of stuff private as well, too. Uh, I'm not denying that. But uh, this has now been released, so a lot of people are super excited for it. I think it's great because now, you know, there's a lot of systems out there that are going to be exploitable and can run on this. A lot of people have been sitting on 3.something, can now update to 4.05. Uh, I think now if you go out and you pick up a PS4, uh, like especially if you pick up like a brand new original FAT system, it's definitely going to be exploitable uh, with these slims, or if you can get one of the first runs of like the PS4 Pros, uh, you could update those as well too. Um, but we have it out, and they did a really awesome write-up, which I will kind of show on here as well too. Um, that a lot of it, admittedly, goes over my head, but <laughs> I got to give uh, respect where it's due. Um, I was uh, th there's been other um, other developers in the scene who they've developed their own kernel exploits on 4.05, 4.0 X, whatever it is. Um, some of them have said that uh, they've used some things from this. Others have said, you know, we use different methods. Uh, the point is, we do have kernel exploit available. Um, there's a really good write up on it. Some people might be asking, okay, where's the mod games? Where's all the other stuff? Uh, that has to come and. That's something that I think a lot of people are forgetting. Um, there's been a lot of people I've seen who are a little bit impatient with this, uh, and they're expecting just things tomorrow. Uh, that's not going to happen. Even with the uh, PS4 on 1.76, we got the uh, quote-unquote jailbreak. Like, we got the kernel exploit, we got the jailbreak, it was released. And it took a while before, you know, the playground came out, or before um, sending over payloads was a thing, or before uh, mod menus were, was a thing on there too for a few different systems. The nice thing is on here, though, it's on a newer firmware to the point where uh, developers should be able, people who are one to access this should be able to get a hold of a system easier. And there's just going to be more exploited consoles out there in the wild. So uh, this is definitely exciting to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's kind of like a, an interesting name. I do. I'm probably saying that wrong. I do. But I believe that is like a, isn't that like some way of, saying goodbye in like French or something or has something yes. to do with goodbye. And yes. at the very end of this blog post, it says, and so we say goodbye to a nice exploit, which obviously the exploit is still available for the firmwares mentioned, but you know, um, it's either been patched already or will be patched <laughs> very shortly. I guess it probably was patched because. Well, I mean, point... the, 
the the latest firmware out is 5.01 so yeah this has right. been i mean this has been old firmware so um it's really interesting read it is very very technical and honestly over my head too um but if you're really into the low level stuff uh i mean i'm sure it's just absolutely amazing <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah no i know but yeah no that's uh... really good uh, what kind of like uh, advantage do you get from actually updating to a higher firmware? Uh, does it let you play just newer games or? Uh, let's play else? newer games. Of course, if you're on the latest firmware, you can get online, uh, and then any new features that Sony puts in, uh, you're able to utilize those as well too. Uh, I've been happy with PS4 updates, but yeah, thankfully I have a exploitable PS4 on hand here as well. So, uh, just depends yeah. on really what you're gunning after. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So this uh, this next thing here, this is still related to the PS4, but do you want to uh, take this, or do you want me to kind of uh, run with it? Uh, I'll start it off. Um, you definitely know more about the PS4 scene uh, than I do, so you can absolutely correct me on things if I mess something up. But it sounds like we have a... not exactly a custom firmware, but the ability to install custom packages on uh, version 4.5.5. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, and there's um and there's actually with all this with the 1.76 public stuff with 4.05 with 4.55 uh, none of this has been custom firmware. Right. Um sounds like essentially the exploit that uh is is it out yet? It's not out yet, is it? Uh this one is not. No, this one's not public. Right. Uh so it was just demoed online. Basically the uh developer showed the fact that he had a debug menu installed. So the exploit uh or whatever it will be somehow installs this debug menu and in that debug menu there is a package installer. So then I would assume you just transfer over packages through uh via USB or so and install them and uh based on this post is I assume that it just it bypasses signature checks or anything like that, right? Yeah, so uh, from what I understand, do you, do you mind if I take this? No, go ahead. So uh, from what you said on here, I mean, Devin was uh, pretty on point with this, but with the uh, debug settings, um, that's a setting that you can unlock if you have a custom exploit or a, a uh, kernel exploit and you're able to do all your magic properly. Uh, like on my 1.76 PS4, I've demonstrated that I could do it as well. Uh, essentially, you just need to run the, um, the exploit code, get it working, and uh, then you can send over a payload to unlock debug settings on your system. And then at that point, you can uh, run your package, like, you know, install package files and such. Uh, so we've had this for quite a bit. Uh, there's actually been videos of people where they had package files, uh, and a package file is just like an application or something, um, like an application, a game, whatever it might be. Uh, so they take it, they're able to install it on there, but with games, uh, you also need a license for that as well, too. Uh, so you can install these packages uh, on 1.76, but you couldn't play them because you needed a license and you couldn't get the license properly on there. Uh, well, what this guy has done, uh, Flat Z, is um, he was able to repack some package files in a way that is not public yet. It's private right now. And uh, he showed, I can't show the video because it got taken down, um, but what ended up happening is he ran his kernel exploit, 
he was able to then go into debug settings, uh, install packages. He installed a test homebrew package. So there was a separate application on the home menu that was just a test homebrew app, like Hello World. Uh, and then he also installed The Last Guardian, which was a full retail game that was re-signed and working on the PS4 uh, with no other issues on there. So the other big thing about this as well, too, is... Um, the, the nice thing when it comes down to it is recently I didn't touch up on this just because I kind of looked at it. I was like, that's cool, but not for me. Um, there was also on firmware 1.76, a way where you can now decrypt games and load them. Um, the very rough process I was seeing was essentially you have to take the game. You have to completely decrypt it, uh, load it up in a certain way. Uh, it's very hacky. Um, with the way it does it. And you kind of have to load it through Playroom and just do some other magic. Uh, if it sounds like I'm being very vague on it, it's because uh, I am, because I myself didn't attempt it. I looked into it. I was like, that's cool, but I'm not dying to do that. And there has to be a better way to do this. Uh, so now we're seeing a more permanent way of doing so where we're able to actually take a game, install it properly and launch it with uh, with no issues on here. <laughs> Yeah, you having fun with Lily? I guess we're asking me. Yeah, she's she she's just getting all excited about everything. Uh, she's getting really excited about uh, PS4 exploits. She is. She's yeah. trying to get up here. <laughs> I'll, I'll, no, I'll but that is uh, it's really interesting. Um, it's it's quite uh, impressive that they were able to show off a retail game with the video. I'm really bummed I didn't get to see it to be honest. Um, by the time I pulled up the article and looked at it for the first time. No go. It's taken down. So mm-hmm. um, if someone else has a link to the video, that would be fantastic. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll, um, I'll yeah, and I kind of summed up pretty well as well, too, on there, honestly. Um, there are links that are uh, being shown on the uh, on the chat here if you're in the live chat. Um, but when it came down to it, too, I just wanted to say on this, if you uh, if you checked this out saying the video is unavailable, um, Flat Z's channel was actually taken down. I, uh, I, I ended up uh, tweeting at him, and I was like, hey, Reach out to this guy. Uh, his name's Trusted Flagger on Twitter. I was like, he should be able to get you sorted because Google actually terminated his channel. Uh, but from what I'm seeing, it wasn't Sony directly. This, this kind of just like the the YouTube side of me talking. Uh, from what I see, it wasn't Sony or anyone affiliated that DMCA the video. The video is not DMCA'd from what I see uh, because if you go like right here, load it up, it says video is no longer available because YouTube account associated with this video has been terminated. Uh, if it was Sony or someone else, it would say either by a third party or it would have that third party's name. Uh, so what I think happened is YouTube probably saw this video. They thought it was hacking, hacking, crazy hacking, and just took down his uh, his uh, channel as a whole. Uh, kind of shitty on there as well, too, but I just kind of want to put that out there because a lot of people are saying, oh, the video was DMCA'd, Sony took it down. It's like, actually, no, that looks like Google took it down themselves. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't know. I mean, is that very common? You would know better than I do for Google to just take it down. I feel like they wouldn't care. Usually it seems like they're really only doing what the content creators want them to do. <laughs> no, there's there, that's a whole other podcast thing I can get into. But no, in short, there, there's a lot of just... A lot of nonsense stuff that goes on where there's things that are allowed by the TOS that then might get flagged and struck down and stuff. Um, things like this, for example, where um, I, people are saying, you know, it's a three strikes type of thing. Uh, I 
don't think he had three strikes on his account. It was probably just taken down as a whole. I mean, that's happened as well, too, when Google's had to intervene. They have. Um, that's why I was saying if he reaches out to Trust Flagger, I'm sure he can get the channel back up and everything. Yeah, let's hope. It's kind of a bummer. I mean, especially not even having released this exploiter software yet. <laughs> Well, I mean that's that's going to be different as well too. Like he can, he's working on it right now. He's refining it, and then he's going to release it at one point. Uh, but the video taken down is not going to affect, like it's not going to affect that. Yeah, no, I understand. It's just, uh, I mean, for all I, for all YouTube knows, this could be fake. I doubt they're looking that into it. It's probably just some algorithm that is doing its thing. So mm-hmm. they. YouTube has said that they have people look at these individually. Um, I have my doubts on that. I've always kind of thought that, no, a lot of it's probably automated. YouTube always says, no, it's not automated, but I really don't believe that. Hey, man, Google has invested a lot into machine learning, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Believe what you will. With this as well, too, I'm actually, I mean, it's great that we have, um, you know, the 4.05 exploit out in the wild, the kernel exploit. Um, I wait to see what we can do with this, mainly the package installation, because that's what we're, that's really optimal for what people are aiming for on here. Uh, But in short, I also wanted to say if um, uh, one person I talked with, I'm not going to say his name, but uh, one person I was talking with who's pretty knowledgeable on uh, PS4 coding, exploits, all that other stuff, um, he was kind of telling me, you know, there's no point in dropping a kernel exploit with, and no one knows what to do with it. Uh, essentially, he was saying here, you know, like he said, look at 1.76. It's the easiest one because you can hard code everything and they're struggling to launch a package or homebrew, um, which that's why with 1.76, everything has seemed very disjointed and hacky. Um, yeah, you can launch the, uh, the kernel like exploit through a web browser, uh, but then you have to send over payloads to unlock and do certain things. Um, we didn't, you know, get the package installation down on here. Like you can install packages, but you can't do it like Flat Z is doing right here. Um, so really, it's I, I know that they're trying to like the the scene as a whole. They're trying to at least improve on that somehow. Say, hey, how can we get a kernel exploit out in the wild? and have it be utilized, not only by end users, but also by developers, and they can get some actual real and not truly hacky homebrew running on here. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Real quick, though. Is that, uh, is that Sonic Lily's toy? Yes. Okay, just making sure that this was doggo approved. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, She's it, having a good old time. It's off camera right now, but Lily's playing with a Sonic the Hedgehog toy. It it, it was my toy, and then I gave it to her. Um, no, but she, uh, I, I actually, I ended up right before the podcast started. I took away her other toy and gave her Sonic because Sonic doesn't have a squeaker in it. Because I guarantee, like, I hear her running around everywhere. We would have been hearing nothing but squeaks for half of this podcast. No, it's been impressive to watch, actually. She's able to toss it in the air. It, it, it'll do about four flips, and she'll catch it. Like, it looks like it's going near the height of my head. So, I mean... I know, I know right? She She's a kick-ass dog. Very impressive. So... <laughs> but anyways, I'll try not to be so distracted. Oh, it's all good. I mean, you're you're out in the... That, that's her favorite area to hang out in, so... <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. I'm in her territory now. Perfect. Well, should we uh, continue this uh, this uh, PlayStation stuff here? 
Looks like we might have one more article if you want to go over that. Uh, sure. Are you talking about the uh, the Vita one? Mm-hmm. I am. Sure. Let's go ahead. And uh, I haven't had, admittedly, I kind of want to get it out there. I haven't had the uh, uh, the crazy time to just go in and read this in major detail. But show it here. We got uh, yeah. uh, Vita Reverse Engineering Leak, Cobra Blackfin. Part two. Now, Devin, you remember us talking about this before, right? Yeah, no, definitely. I'm pretty sure it was the last time we had a podcast, if I remember correctly. Perfect. So, in short, this was the uh, this was the guy who uh, he worked on the Cobra Blackfin, which uh, the uh, previous uh, co-host I had on here, uh, Daniel, we had talked about Cobra Blackfin before, uh, and it was a just a a really convoluted messy not reliable way of playing uh backup or pirated games on the playstation vita this is before we had hinkaku or any of that other fun stuff um but in short this was a the code racklin was a device um developed by a person i don't know his name on here uh he was contracted out by cobra and then cobra ended up selling it released it uh barely released anywhere it bombed uh died out and he gave a bunch of information and leaked documents and logs and all this other stuff. And he said, hey, this is my stuff. Um, I'm going to be releasing it publicly. And I want to get paid. And he said, if I don't get paid, I'm going to release more stuff. And he's done a big drop right here. Um, Wolo was saying about a month ago, I was contacted by a person who states they are the main tech person behind the Cobra Blackfin device. And have pretty much confirmed it by now, given what they have released. I've agreed to publish this person's work and announcements unaltered. You can see details of this agreement as well as first release in the original article. Uh, the second part of the leak was sent to me a few days ago already, uh, but I delayed this article for no good reason. Today's release contains the actual Blackfin software. Following on my commitment, below is the developer's announcement and their notes. I have not modified anything except for potential formatting to fit in the blog's design and constraints. Um, and in short, they, uh, you know, they released the software. Uh, they released, I believe, um, how, you know, it was communicating through Bluetooth and such and just did a huge code dump on here. I think the guy just really figured out, he's like, yeah, there's absolutely no way I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be paid for this. So fuck it. Let's get everything out of here. Yeah, definitely. Um, this does say part two, but I, I do think this is the final release. Um, from what I was reading, this is like, this is everything. This is just the whole shebang. And there's not really any intention to keep the communication up with, you know, um, Wololo or anything like that. It's just like, here it is. Let's go. Um, he did release quite a few decent utilities. You know, I can't speak to how valuable they will be to the scene, but uh, the you know the source code for the firmware of the Blackfin, a uh, variety of drivers, libraries, a flashing utility, so you can modify the uh, the actual chip itself, the Blackfin, um, a lot of stuff. Um, I think it's good, and I hope the community gets some good out of it. Kind of like we talked about uh, last time. The community has already come a long way, so most of this we probably already have or probably have better um, at this point. And this post honestly seemed more like a place to just let off some steam. Um, <laughs> so uh, you said you didn't have a chance to read through it very thoroughly, but here uh, the developer basically goes on a rant to Wololo saying, <laughs> you know... Uh, I think it's Yi Fan Lu who kind of like made fun of him and poked at him a bit on Twitter, basically saying like, 
you wrote some software for a piracy company and you expect to get paid, like, you know, that's kind of dumb and all this stuff and kind of not quite harassing him, but definitely not talking kindly up to him. Uh, and he basically said, you know, screw you. I was doing this for a job. Like, I don't care, you know, what your opinions on that are this. I don't care what they do with the software. I'm just trying to get paid, which I can respect to an extent. Um, and yeah, I mean, he basically bragged about how, much development he had so early on in the Vita life cycle before there was a whole lot of development on anything. Um, and said, yes, some of the other developers may have made a, a lot of good strides in one direction, but I made it in the other and hopefully we can come together and, you know, make the best out of both of these, which, you know, I agree. Hopefully uh, it can. Yeah. There was, um, there's definitely, you know, a, a good amount of, with this leak, I mean, it's it's good that we have the software at least, it's good that we have these sources and everything here. Uh, I mean, better than not getting it, of course, which is great. Uh, whether it's usable or it's just archived, um, that's really gonna be up to everyone. Uh, for, as Devin said, most things, if not everything, uh, we now have alternatives to it that are better or uh, might be improved or whatever it is. Um, yes, this did come out earlier, but again, the Blackfin was not a very usable device. Um, yes, I did see the Yifan Lu drama before. I, I saw it on Twitter, and I kind of read through some of the threads that he had on there. Uh, in short, to boil it down, his big thing was he was saying, how can you expect to be paid by a company that their whole point is we want to pirate and steal games like if their whole thing if their shtick and their focus is stealing things how do you think that you're going to get paid through that like they're going to just steal whatever right, there's you're doing a little bit of irony yeah yeah and that's what he was really that's what he was really pointing out and saying because he said hey you know there's these people that are developing open source software i don't say anything about them there's people who are developing things for the vita that could enable piracy there's people who are explicitly either taking donations or they are really supporting piracy and i haven't said anything it's just with this that you took a contract from the shady company you knew what they were doing um their whole business i mean really it is like their whole business is stealing things how could you think that you were going to have a trustworthy agreement with them? Yeah, and I wish I had some like real life examples to compare to, you know, but depending on what your ethics are, if say, you know, theoretically, this is not a true story at all, a gateway, you know, with a 3DS came to me early on and they were like, or I somehow came in contact with them and I knew more about this low level hacking and they're like, well, we'll give you a free 3DS will give you money to be able to get the hardware to try and hack this to create like a, a flash card and you can just you know get paid to hack around and try and figure this out some ethics might you know be against that i can see where the allure was though right i mean especially at the very beginning of the scene you're not copying anyone's work you're starting fresh you know, you could end up doing something cool, even if it's paid for and lots of people bought the gateway. And I mean, sure, other methods are preferred, but they don't, a lot, I don't, as far as I know, most people don't absolutely hate gateway as far as like an ethics standpoint goes. Yeah, it's it, it, it's a meme, really, the, the gateway hate. I mean, they did, I, I will say I did like gateway for a while, really. The thing that made me kind of go, eh, like a bit was, um, 
when they had you know their brick code uh the part where i was just like i mean i wasn't using gateway at this time but uh the part where i was just like yeah nope 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 gateway is just a whole bunch of nope was uh again where they pretty much flat out took arm nine loader hacks completely rebadged it for their own thing and made it worse right yeah i mean they kind of like you know walked themselves straight into that but um yeah i mean there's mixed sides on that but i don't think it's you know looked as bad on nearly as much as this was this this did get like a lot of hate um and they're actually releasing the source code of this guy so i don't know um this probably won't make a huge dent in scene, but it is really interesting to get it and, you know, it'll be archived forever now. Yeah, I, I think the the funny thing was with it too was uh, when it came down to it, uh, even if the team over at Cobra ended up uh, seeing all these posts and they were, I don't, I don't think they were shaking in their boots is what I'm trying to say in short. Uh, because as I said, the Blackfin, when it came out, you could barely get it anywhere. It completely tanked. Just not a good device. It didn't work properly. They had to refund a lot of people. So I'm sure if they did look at this, looking from Cobra's perspective, they looked, they're like, oh, yeah, we didn't pay him. Okay, that's, we probably should have, wait, so he's going to release all the work he's done on the Cobra, a device that bombed and we lost money on. And like, yeah, no, he can release it. We don't care. Like, it wasn't right. something that was relevant and still being supported. Um, and that's why I think Cobra just, and probably they just didn't care. So I think that's why Cobra didn't say anything and they still didn't pay him. Not trying to justify it. I'm just saying that's probably the logic that went through their heads. Yep. No, I totally agree. I mean, it's probably why he just had one more leak too and didn't like trickle this out anymore. Probably like knew, it's, you know, this isn't going to work. I'm just going to dump it all because what do I have to lose? Mm -hmm. If anything, now the research methods that he used and the tools that he created, the ways he did them would be interesting to see. And I mean, now we have them. Uh, and then for archival purposes, this is great. But for practicality, um, it's not great. It's it's not useful to the end users. Yep. Definitely. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Anyways, this uh, we so, have a bit of a you're smart. What are you smiling about? You want to tell us about your, your phone fun? Absolutely. So uh, this is last off we're going to be getting into here. And uh, this is something we haven't really talked about too much for. Uh, but it is modding related, I feel like. So we're dropping it on mod chat here. Anyways, uh, this is my phone that I got. This is, let me go ahead and just uh, clear out all this stuff here and everything. Blah, 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 blah. So I can actually show it properly. Uh, this in short is my phone. This is a OnePlus 3T Android. That's my preferred platform, all that stuff. Um, so I really enjoy this phone. Uh, I think it's a great phone. I picked it up actually with Devin's recommendation. Uh, I thought the price was pretty solid on it. Uh, and I was using stock firmware on here, which is auction OS for quite a while. Um, up until recently, I think last week or the week prior, I ended up uh, changing it up on here. Uh, recently, there was that announcement from, well, not really an announcement, but more of a discovery that uh, OnePlus was taking a bit more data than they were admitting to care for. Uh, and they do have a, they have one of those programs where uh, you can opt in and say, hey, I want to send information about my device and stuff to OnePlus so they can improve the code and stuff. Um, does that work? Yeah, I believe so. Um, but 
I'm also going to assume that they use that data and they might sell off whatever it might be. Um, they're not doing just a charity service there. I mean, they're a business. That's how they're going to be making their money. Um, and I know all these companies like Google and Apple, they're going to be uh, taking data as well, too. Uh, it's just OnePlus wasn't as transparent with it. And a lot of people were up in arms about this. Now, when I looked into it, it seemed to be a lot of general metadata. Uh, but it was some stuff that I was like, eh, you know, they don't really need all that data on me. I had opted out for the data collection as well, too. Um, but I decided to give this a really, really good excuse and just convenient excuse to uh, wipe Auction OS off of here and flash uh, Lineage OS. In case you don't know, Lineage OS is a custom ROM for Android, and it has um, it's from the people who created uh, CyanogenMod. Uh, I've been extremely happy with it so far, and I was even I was telling Devin all about it, and I said this has actually reaffirmed my love for Android. Um, See, I've been on Android for several years at this point, and uh, I used to be on iOS, and I flip-flop between uh, iOS and Android. At this point, I have both. I have a uh, iOS device for my work phone. I have an Android device for my personal phone. Uh, and I think it was because I was coming from being a Nexus user, where when I was you know, on my Nexus 4, my Nexus 7, my Nexus 6, uh, I just liked stock Android. Uh, I didn't modify that, really. I, I mean, I unlocked the bootloader. I put uh, root access on there. But outside of that, I didn't do, I did exposed once or twice, uh, but I didn't do custom kernels really on the Nexus 6 or the Nexus 7. Uh, I wasn't doing custom ROMs ever. And because of that, I'd kind of forgotten why Android was my preferred platform. Uh, I used iOS and I use it sparingly. Um, like my iPhone, I use really just for email, occasionally texting people and uh, calls. So if someone gave me a BlackBerry, I could do the same thing with it. If someone gave me a Samsung type device, I could do the same thing with it, really. Uh, point is on there, I haven't really truly utilized iOS. So there's even been a few times in the past few months I've thought, hey, maybe if I could I switch over to iOS? Let's see. Um, but this has really given me my love back for Android and realized why I enjoy it. Not only this made my phone better, um, but the nice thing is I was able to take this and say, I really like this phone. I really like the hardware. I don't want to go out and buy another phone and I don't agree with what the software is doing on here. I know I'll just take a different software, wipe the phone, install it over, and have something that I can still use. I can still enjoy this phone and more aligns with what I want from this, whether it be morally or ethically or just, you know, for device usage. Yeah. And you know what's really cool coming full circle here? The reason why you can do that, one of the big reasons why you can do that is the GPL itself. The manufacturers are using Linux and they have to re-release the Linux kernel enabling you know, the hardware bridge so you can actually boot your device. And then Android is, uh, well, I'm not really sure. I don't know if Android is GPL licensed, but it does have uh, open source licensing. Um, it's not GPL because manufacturers don't have to release their source code, but um, Android started out open source at least. And that's how lineage is a thing. So Google or anyone can fork Google's code and build that. And with the GPL on the Linux kernel, we can actually get a booting device running completely custom software. So just kind of neat that we were talking so much about the GPL earlier. And here it, here it is.
yeah and we we come back to that it's great no i've um because i've i've been telling devin about you know my lineage um you know my lineage experience so far on here which has been very positive um i have a video coming out about this as well too so i mean if anybody's watching this now you're kind of going to get a repeat at one point um but no what i like about that you know you have that freedom available and as I said, I kind of forgot that because uh, since I've been used to stock devices for so long and just, you know, rooting and doing a few things, um, like at most I root and install two apps outside of SuperUse that required root. And I don't even, like this phone's not rooted anymore. The past like week and a half, it has not been rooted and it's made absolutely no difference to me. Uh, so that's another nice thing as well too. I can take this phone, I can change the operating system on it, not, you know, from Android to whatever, but you know, a different variant of Android that I agree with. Um, and then I can, uh, I still have the same functionality that I want on there. Uh, my usage for root has definitely gone down over the past few years. Uh, but when it comes to iOS, for example, I can't do that. If I have uh, iOS and like on this phone, for example, I have uh, iOS 11.02 or something. Uh, if I'm not happy with that, I can't install another variant of iOS. Um, I don't even know if I could really downgrade as easily. I know you could downgrade pretty much on anything if you jailbroke your phone and then uh, installed, uh, you know, you got the SHSH blobs and stuff, but Apple's been really locked down on that. And also jailbreaks are coming out less frequently. Uh, that's also another reason why I have disagreed with Samsung's devices, uh, where I know Samsung is, to me, I've always said they're the, not always, but the past, few years, I'd say after the S3 and really S4 um, that came out, I feel like they are the Apple of the Android world where they want to take this and, you know, have their own design, have their own specific stuff like TouchWiz and Stylus Pin and all these other things they do. And um, then they want to lock down the phone as well, too, where like this phone, it was super easy to root. I know Devin, you have a Pixel, super easy to root. Uh, you void your warranty, but there's nothing really stopping you on that. Um, oh, oh, oh. Device. Not on a Pixel. What? I mean, void, uh, unlocking the bootloader and everything on your phone, wiping your phone does not void warranty on Pixels or Nexus devices. Uh, it did on Nexus devices, I thought. Mm -hmm. Nope, because they provide all the utilities to put it back. They prefer you to put it back. Um, but... No, it's never voided a warranty. I even saw a claim just recently, just to, for people to be sure. So I just got the uh, Pixel 2 XL, really enjoying it. And um, somebody has already talked to Google support and confirmed that unlocking the bootloader does not void the warranty. So Kick ass then. All right, so there's a whole other yeah. thing as well too. Before this goes away, I also want to say, Tristan Leonard, thank you very much for the donation. Very much appreciate it. He said, Android for life, Android masteries, custom ROMs are the greatest. Yep, I can't really disagree with that. <laughs> I even had... Um, kind of going, uh, you obviously had a, somewhat of a history with custom ROMs and you're really enjoying your time now. And I, I'm super happy for you. It definitely puts a smile on my face, obviously. Um, I'm kind of in the same way though, uh, at least before you, you know, ROMed up your phone. I've been running stock for a while. I have had Nexus devices since the Galaxy Nexus. Um, I did have an M8 for a while, but I installed Google Play Edition software onto it. So essentially it was a Nexus device. Um, but other than that, I've had Nexus, uh, devices and both the pixels and I kind of have been battling some of the same things you have been with the, uh, you know, whole, like, would it be easy to switch to iOS? Would it not? But I can't always think I'm going to agree with what Google's going to do for the pixel. They may goof one year and I may want to switch it up. Maybe some new Android manufacturer will come along. 
Um, you know, OnePlus is not that old, and they have done really well. So just thinking about like, oh, well, I have a Pixel and Nexus device right now, and I don't do much to it, so I could probably switch. It's kind of narrow-minded because I might get a different device sometime, and I might want to change it up, and that may not be worth an ecosystem change. Right. And I've, I, I, I've had that. I mean, we, we talked about it. Like I've had that struggle many times, but this definitely kind of cemented my place with Android here. And I've, I've enjoyed it. Um, kind of going back to the Samsung thing I was talking about though. Um, they did a few things I didn't agree with. So it's good that you actually brought up the, uh, the non void, like voiding warranty type thing. Um, Cause I know with the, with, with Samsung devices, um, the reason why I was saying, you know, I feel like they are the Apple of the Android world is because they try and create their own ecosystem forked off Android, so to speak, and kind of try to lock you in there and get you used to all these things. Um, I've had many issues with Samsung smartphones as well, too. I'm really not crazy about them either. Uh, but to root the device, you have to actually hack at it. Uh, you are going to, uh, I mean, there's essentially, as I said, you know, it, it's easy enough to root these devices or next device or pixel device and unlock the bootloader. Uh, no, you pretty much have to straight up hack your phone in order to do that on a Samsung device. And I don't know if they still do this. So maybe someone in the comment section can help me out with this. Um, but I remember, I think it was on the, starting with the S3 or the S4, they started putting e-fuses in the phones. So that meant that you could upgrade your phone, but you could not downgrade. Um, right when that would happen, an e-fuse would blow in your phone and it would just prevent you from going under a certain version. And I remember I had a friend of mine who he was livid about that because he had done Xbox mods and repairs for years. So he was very familiar with the e-fuses and all this stuff. And he went over to Android. And he was like raving about his phone. He's like, hey, so Danny, I, I rooted my phone and I was having a good time with it. And there was some update that I got. So I updated and um, I'm trying to root my phone again, but it looks like I can't on this new firmware and I'm having trouble downgrading it. Uh, do you know what's up? And I just, I remember I had this like big shit eating grin on my face and I was like, you remember the e-fuse from 360? You just blew an e-fuse and he was just, he was livid about it. Cause he's like, they, they implemented that on my phone. That's on here. And I said, yes, you, you can't downgrade. You, you upgraded, you blew your e-fuse. You can't downgrade. Sorry, dude. Yeah. Um, it has been incredibly nice. Uh, and I've actually utilized this for a legitimate reason before uh, my Nexus 6p it was i downgraded the major version uh when i had that i believe it was 7.0 came out and i went back to 6.0 for a while because my battery life was much worse performance wasn't as good and but google releases the factory images the tools to unlock your phone and everything to wipe it and put it back uh and they don't even care like you can do a warranty exchange and they're like oh you did that oh wow i'm surprised you're able to do that okay <laughs> So um, I'm happy that they continue that trend, especially as they've gone and rebranded to the Pixel and kind of taken a more mainstream approach uh, to their phones. Uh, so I really hope they continue that in the future too. Absolutely. One thing I also wanted to say on uh, Lineage OS as well too was uh, with the recent Wi-Fi exploits that were revealed uh, were in short, uh, you know, crack attacks, K-R-A-C-K, uh, where you could really crack open and run amok with uh, WPA2-style Wi-Fi. Um, 
that is a per device patch basis. So you would have to patch, you know, your router, your phones, anything that utilizes Wi-Fi. Um, so Google has come out and said it's October and they said, hey, we're going to be updating that. We're going to, uh, you know, make sure you're not vulnerable and we're going to put it out in the November update. So Devin, you know, with a Pixel 2, you're going to get the update for it in November. Excellent. Um, people who have Nexus devices, they're probably going to get the update November or uh, December sometime soon, hopefully sometime this year, I'm really hoping so. Um, well, they're not obligated to at the same time, a lot of devices are not going to get patched up, uh, but not just with lineage, I will say lineage specifically on here, but with all of these custom firmware, or not custom firmware, but with uh, these custom ROMs, uh, the nice thing is you can unofficially support and update your phone. Uh, my phone that I got from 2010, or it's like a 2010 or 2011 model phone, it was still getting unofficial updates as of a few months ago. I don't know if it's going to get any anytime soon, probably not, but the fact that it was supported up until this point is awesome. Uh, when it comes to lineage as well, I was vulnerable on this phone for crack attacks for three or four days tops. Uh, I think the day after it was announced, a day or two later, lineage said, hey, uh, we patched it, it's going to come out in the next nightly. And I just had to wait another two days for their nightly to come out and then I was able to flash it on here and I am protected at this point. Um, so that's another nice thing as well. They were able to do that even faster. And when it came to OnePlus, they're actually trying this time around. A lot of people complain about slow updates. They were faster at updating, but for example, they're going to take a while to release a stable build. Uh, and then with their beta updates, uh, yeah, they're going to come out, but not everyone's going to do beta. I ran beta uh, ROMs on here for a bit, and it was okay, but I'd rather have stable on here. Uh, I don't like to put beta stuff on my phone. Uh, but that's just another thing that I've liked about custom ROMs as well, too, is that they could just completely, you know, they can boost longevity of the phone. I still have people, like, I, I know people who have three or four-year-old phones, and they switched over to custom ROMs, and no issues there. They're great. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's one difference between Android and iOS that will never change. Um, not not from what I'd ever expect. I don't think Apple's ever going to do this. And jailbreaking is a lot more of a pain in the butt to maintain anyway. So um, I'm happy this hasn't really changed in recent years, that Google has continued the trend. Um, they don't have, like before the Nexus devices pretty much were what the open source version of Android was with the Google programs installed. Um, we're starting to see more of a fork with Pixel devices where they're adding in new features that aren't in stock, uh, open source Android, but I'm glad they're at least still allowing the possibility. So, you know, if Lineage or whoever wants to uh, like recreate these features, they can, they can still do their thing. So I don't think it's a terrible thing, but, um, you know, I hope they continue down this and don't start taking that away slowly. Yeah, we'll see. See, either way, I'm uh, I'm quite happy with this phone now on uh, on Lineage. I'm liking it more than before. I've had a bunch of other, you know, performance, like not issues, performance boosts as well too, but I've been happy. I think the only downgrade has been the camera. The camera is not as good now. It was okay before, but now it's just kind of bleh, but it still works out well enough. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, that's kind of happens when you have to rewrite drivers and stuff like that. It isn't always perfect. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate, but 
what can you do? I'd rather have, you know, a fully updated phone that makes my phone run cooler and is safer and I get better battery life. Like, I would rather have that. So if my camera's going to take a hit, so be it. Well, if you had several Nexus devices, you should be used to a poor camera experience anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm a, was a Nexus user, and I'll fully admit that that was the one thing that I was like, eh, this is definitely not the greatest, but I don't think I care. However, have, after having like several good phones in a row that have very good cameras, I'm now like, hmm, I think I might be a little bit pickier. <laughs> Anyways, I think that's um took us a while here, but that's about uh, all the topics that we had had listed on here. So, uh, Devin, do you want to go to uh, user questions? Yeah, man, absolutely. We've definitely got a little bit of a crowd in here. So, thanks to everyone who's stuck with us in the in the live stream on the chat. Um, it's awesome to see you guys chatting it up while we talk here. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we very much appreciate it. And if you guys have any questions, you know, go ahead, throw them down. And while we're waiting for some questions to come in, Devin, I was wanting to know, how's your Pixel 2 XL experience like? Okay, so, um, you know, first few days, honeymoon phase, uh, I got it on the 19th. Uh, so I was one of the first batches, not the very, very first people to get it, but pretty close. Um, I am coming from a this is a Pixel 2 XL, by the way. So this is the larger one. Um, and I was coming from a Pixel XL. So you wouldn't think that'd be a huge gap, uh, a huge difference, but it honestly has been really nice. The more bezel-less display is really good. Um, there's a lot of really nice features that complement the OS uh, in ways that the Pixel doesn't have, at least not yet. Um, the uh, front-facing speakers have been really nice. That's something that I had on my Nexus 6P and my M8 that uh, I really did miss. Wasn't a deal breaker, but now I don't have to cup the phone. I can actually just listen. <laughs> and it sounds really good. So I do envy that. I missed that from my Nexus 6, admittedly. Like, front-facing speakers are th they're the truth. Yeah, and it's not even a matter of loudness or, or, or quality. I mean, it is better, but it's literally like there were situations that I didn't expect with my last Pixel, where I I was like, there's no way I'm going to cover up the speaker that much. But I did. I'd be holding it, covering it up, having to cup it, didn't quite get loud enough. It just... So, welcome change. Um, the battery, the battery life is really nice. I'm literally getting about 30% more than I did. Um, if not, maybe a little bit more. So, it's changed the way I use my phone a bit, because I can use it a lot more, and I don't have to worry as much even though I work a desk job. So first world problems there for sure. Um, there's a lot of other little features like the squeezable frame to pull up Google Assistant, um, the always on display, but overall it's been a nice upgrade. However, have you heard about all the talk about the screen burn-in? Which side am I supposed to be on? Am I supposed to be on the side where I say, oh, yeah, no, this is a goof, this is horrible, or am I supposed to say that's not that bad? Well, <laughs> I don't know. I'll just explain. So if you haven't heard about it, uh, the Pixel 2 XL was getting some flack. It almost is like smear campaign worthy, which is really weird. I mean, like, the escalations were ridiculous. So I don't know. Maybe this is... This is all organic, maybe not, but first people were complaining about the colors not being as vibrant as other phones, which is purely software. 
Google like came out and said they tuned it to sRGB color profiles, which look a lot more like the iPhone screen than your typical um, oversaturated Samsung screen. But Google said, you know, we may actually let you toggle that on the full P3 color gamut. So whatever, it doesn't even bother me actually. It didn't bother me at all. Um, a couple other complaints, didn't bother me at all. Like I see what you're talking about, but this is blown way out of proportion. And then they were like, oh, yeah, I've been using my Pixel for like 10 days and there's screen burn in, like on the navigation buttons. And I thought, no way. So I looked at a couple pictures and I was like, okay, good. We'll check back in. And then another coworker was asking me about it. It's like, did you get that? I heard it's really bad. And I was like, no, no, no. And I checked again. Oh, no. It's been five days. And it's not bad. But I had a coworker confirm, like, we're looking at it. And he's like, oh, no, I can totally see the circle right there. I mean, you really have to look for it. But five days? How's it going to look in five months, man? We don't know. So... <laughs> yeah. For the record, the smaller Pixel does not seem to be affected by this. Um, they're using two different display panels. The smaller Pixel is using a Samsung AMOLED panel, while the larger Pixel 2 XL is using a uh, an LG POLED panel. So um, we'll see. I don't know. I know this is really uh, tough because otherwise the phone has been amazing. One person I uh, I follow on uh, Twitter, he was kind of saying because he he just he he has hates for LG from what I see, and he was just like, yeah, no, people shouldn't expect this from LG. And I was just like, hey, uh, I I'm not really I don't really follow phones closely. I'm not all crazy about phones. I wouldn't have known this. So this would have been brand new news to me. Like if someone was just like, oh, you should have expected that. It's like, no, I, I don't expect my phone after five days to have screen burning on there. Are you uh, are you going to be arming yeah. once, um, uh, like once they definitely have a fix for it? I mean, it's not even like should. It's like they, they need to have a fix for this. Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't know, there's a lot of questions here because I think that actually getting a different panel out, if it's not a small tweak, that's not going to be possible. If they were to go to like a Samsung panel, I mean, that's going to be so much work and so much of a a like manufacturing pipeline change. I just don't know. Um, if they do get a fix out, I'll definitely be doing an RMA. Um, but, you know, I did buy like the extra protection or whatever, the, um, the device protection that includes kind of an insurance uh, system, but as well as an extended warranty. So who knows? Maybe I'll just complain and get a new Pixel every six months through a warranty replacement. Um, Google has been pretty good about just like, basically anytime you have an issue, they're just like, oh, your, your, phone's, your phone's rebooting. Oh, your phone's a little bit colder than normal. Here, just try a new one. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I even had a software problem on my Pixel, which it had to do with my actual Google account. And I was like, I guarantee you this is not a software problem. They're like, well, let's just replace your Pixel. And I was like, can we not? Like, I actually don't feel like getting a new screen protector. And like, So um, I might be able to just work the system a little bit. We'll see. I definitely say, you know, R made if you can. This is, I mean, I would say it's time to do it now, but if you R made now, you're going to get another pixel that's going to have the exact same issue. So wait a little bit. Yeah, and it, they have publicly come out and said that they are investigating it. Mm -hmm. But there is no admission that there's a problem or a fix in place or any kind of real update on the situation. So 
we're just gonna have to wait and see. Um, the good news is that it is only showing up on the navigation bar area, and the only thing that's there is like the navigation bars, and it's so subtle that if I'm watching a video or something, I I don't even notice it. The only time I've ever been able to notice it is on a solid gray wallpaper. I've never so. I've never had a burn-in on a device, thankfully. I've never either, which is why five days is just too little. Yeah. No, I agree with and that. See, even right now, I have the image pulled up on my phone here, and um, I mean, yeah, I can see it. Maybe I'll show you after <laughs> we end the stream, I, but I doubt it'll even be able to show up. Um, I mean, is it kind of on like the in the corner there? No, I think it's actually showing up on camera differently. That's not how it looks in real life. Okay, yeah, I'll be that honest. It's a I'm really, really weird look. Yeah, I'm really not seeing it. Yeah, that's a really weird look on camera. I don't know why it's showing up like that. It must be just the way the panel works. But yeah, I'll show you. Uh, Offline. I'll show you in person later. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Yeah, but, I'll have to walk all over my living room and see it. God. <laughs> no. Yeah. So needy. <laughs> Anyways, we uh we have a few questions here. You wanna you wanna start uh, attacking them? Uh, let's see. I haven't been looking. What's a good one to start with? Who's uh, first in line? So I'll I'll grab these two real quick so we can get the ball rolling because one of them it's a pretty it's pretty open and shut question. Lily, we don't need you to whine. We don't need your whining. No. And then the other one we can actually discuss. Um. So X forty. Hey, quiet. <laughs> this is dog. So X41 was asking, uh, hey, quiet. She was asking, uh, he, I'm thinking of my dog, she, right here. Uh, where did you get that dope as fuck cat from? I got this from a store called Box Lunch, and it was just like randomly in the um, uh, in the clearance section. I paid like $9 for this. Oh, man, I'm so jealous. There was only one, dude. There was only one. Ah. Uh, well... You know when my birthday is. I do know when your birthday is. I'll keep it in mind. But yeah, that is no, fact. <laughs> it is fact. Yeah, no, they um, like uh, they, they were they were a cool shop. But um, even when I was buying this, like it wasn't in the system directly, so I had to like do a roundabout way of adding it, and then giving me the discount and stuff. And then on top of that as well too, it was funny because they were asked, they're like, "Wait, are there any more back there?" I was like, "No, I, I'm getting the last one." Oh, dang. <laughs> It feels bad, it's man. It's officially licensed, too. It's not any bootleg shit. Like it says, yeah, Nintendo 64, trademark, and copyright 2017 Nintendo. That is so awesome. <laughs> yeah. The next one here, uh, let's see. So James9937 uh, was asking, GameCube controller on Switch. Thoughts? Thoughts? Smash confirmed. Smash no. confirmed. It's <laughs> an unofficial Smash no. confirmation. Yeah, right. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe. I mean, I think that's... Uh that's a good sign that we might be able to see something. Um, I can't really think of what else you might need a GameCube controller for other than like a GameCube virtual console launch in general. Um, it sounds like I haven't tried it out myself. And to be honest, I don't know the extent of the use, but I think it's just a general use controller. Right. So like, I think you can use it for most games, but 
Uh, yeah, uh, one thing I one thing I was seeing though is that the um, there's no home like well there's there's home and there's the other button that's to the left of it. I don't remember what the button is right now. I just think of start and select. The, the equivalent of the select button is not there, or I guess the share button, and uh, it doesn't have a yeah, ZL button. button because there's only a ZR on the uh, on the GameCube controller. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it is missing that button especially. Yeah, um, and I, I doubt there's a. I don't think there's a click like a an analog stick click on the C stick either. No, there's not. So it's or maybe missing, even on the main analog it, stick. It's it's not going to be for. I I don't think it's going to be for. Uh, you know, regular Switch games or anything. Uh, you can kind of use it on games. I'm sure. Um, I haven't utilized this yet because oh. uh, my Switch on 4.0, so I can use it and such. Um, but yeah, no, I think this is a big unofficial way of saying Smash 4 Switch or some type of Smash on Switch. Melee. <laughs> That'd be neat to see. I, I still think, if anything, I mean, with the remasters and stuff we've been seeing, it would literally be like a Smash number 4 Switch. I know, but I mean, that doesn't mean they can't start something new, man. I'm still holding out for Melee. I want... I want competitive melee to continue on the Switch. It might be a pipe dream. It probably is, but I think I, that'd be awesome. I'll be honest. I don't know if competitive melee would go over very well on Switch just because you know there would be things, if it's emulated, there would be um, issues that you know the pros would be able to spot. Uh, and then on top of that, if they create a new build, uh, they're going to change things on the game as well. So I think that even for competitions, it would still be preferred to play melee on a GameCube. Or on a original. Yeah, you're, pro- you're probably right. I just, I mean, I know it can, it's, it can last for a long time. We have some ways of getting around it, but you know, uh, melee's getting old, and with that hardware still being used in such a competitive manner, and still being like, I mean, you got to keep those discs in really good condition because otherwise you're just going to blow through them. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? If you're buying yeah. discs every couple competitions or something like that, it's like. How many of those are out there in the world? And competitive I mean, melee the, still has a following. So, like, yeah, th- 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 there's a lot for sure. Um, so it's it's always been a valuable game because it's a good game. It's first party game, and on top of that, it's used for competitions. Um, but no, when it comes down to it as well, I know this is actually the CU podcast a while ago. They discussed this where it was like nobody's gutting these games, right? Um, like nobody's like taking melee and destroying it or repurposing it or making a reproduction or whatever it might be. Uh, but I know that a lot of people, they make like art projects out of old uh, PCBs for games and stuff. Um, and Ian, the guy on there who works at a video game shop, he was saying that, you know, for example, like a lot of people are saying, Hey, like, you know, super Mario bros, duck hunt, super common game. It doesn't matter if I destroy 20 of them. Uh, but he said now he, barely sees them like years ago he used to have 20 in stock at mm-hmm. any given time now he has two in stock right yeah i mean no matter how you look, how you look at it these won't last forever and you know maybe if it's not good for the competitive scene now like a switch or a melee switch release could potentially extend it for another 10 years like what if we just get to that point I don't know. I mean, we still have these all these retro games from a lot older consoles, so I'm possibly over-exaggerating it. Or I just want Melee on the Switch really badly. I think it'd be a Maybe little bit of both. both. I, I, don't, I don't think it would be bad on the Switch by any means. It's just like, I feel like it would still be preferred to use the GameCube for competitions. Or, I mean, why can't we just have multiple Melee? Not multiple Melees, but multiple Smash games on the system. 
I think that'd be yeah. cool too. Agreed. Yeah. No. Yeah. That touche. Touche. I was trying to do. Um, touche, but I'm glad you agree. <laughs> do we have any? Uh, I can. Yank, any other good uh, questions here? I can yank this one from the mod shop. Uh, I'm just going from the order that they've been submitted. Uh, but what's your favorite TV show out right now? Ooh. Uh, probably Rick and Morty, to be honest. I hate to be that guy, but pretty big fan. To be honest, you have to have a very high IQ to really enjoy Rick and Morty. Yeah, I mean, seriously. Elon Musk, like, come on. <laughs> yeah. What about you, you know, man? I, I, I did think of that, but I was thinking of, like, in terms of new shows. So in terms of, like, brand new shows... Um, I'd have to say if we're talking about like I, I, I'll split this up into two parts because this one technically is ongoing right now for like a long ongoing show. It's still on TV right now. South Park because um, now right now season 21 is airing and it's just so good. Like I absolutely loved season 21. It, it, there's there's going to be an episode tonight. There's going to be an episode tonight. So excited about that. Um, but no, for I guess newer shows, like some stuff that's come out in the past few years, um, BoJack Horseman, even though that's technically not on TV. Um, I enjoy cartoons. But, like, I saw season four, and every single season of BoJack Horseman, like, the day, the first or second day it comes out, I end up binging it. And season four was just incredible. Um, like, it's getting to the point, I mean, you see the original season, and Netflix was a lot more raunchy, and they didn't really know what they were doing with the show and stuff, but then it's kept going on. And, like, this show, what impressed me was with season four, like, it was still funny, but they were really tackling some serious stuff. Um, like they were tackling being a gender and they were able to portray it in a really good light. And one thing that really impressed me was they had an entire episode showing, hey, this is how it's like to have dementia. And it was so well done. Like it's giving me kind of chills thinking about, but it just impressed me just from an overarching standpoint as well too, the way it was delivered. Yeah, I've heard really, really good things about it and I've never actually given it a shot. It's been on my to-do list, but um, I will admit as you probably know, um, I am just not a TV person. Like, I like TV, but I don't know. I typically like to... It, it's it's conflicting, because I like to watch TV with people, but then it's also like, there's so many other things I'd rather do with a person than watch TV. Sometimes I just don't end up watching much TV. I have yeah. to force myself to watch Rick and Morty, but <laughs> Silicon Valley is like my second favorite TV show in recent years, and I still have like three episodes to go on the last season that came out like in April or May. So, I mean, yeah, that's just. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, X 41 here was just saying, you know, he, uh, Dirk gently season two started. I haven't seen that new Mr. Robot Lucifer episode, stranger things season two gets released tomorrow. So stranger things. I loved that. Can't wait to see the second season. Lucifer never seen Agreed. Mr. Robot. Have, have you seen Mr. Robot? Uh, yes. I have seen Mr. Robot. I do like it. Um, I was actually watching it with my ex-girlfriend, and she wasn't as much of a fan. So we kind of stopped watching it, and I intended on keeping up with it myself. But like every other TV show, um, kind of just sits there on the back burner. But I did enjoy it. I got like four or five episodes into season one, mm -hmm. and uh, it was a so, really good show. It, I'll just share this experience without trying to spoil anything but there's been i'm probably just gonna wait for season three to finish because i've binged seasons one and uh, one and two um 
but one of my good friends at work, we were talking about this, and like it was around like the time the Equifax uh, hack had happened, or it was revealed. Uh, he was getting into cryptocurrencies. Well, he got me into cryptocurrencies, and um, I, I, I'll just I'll just say this because it's the way I delivered it to him. But I was telling him about Mr. Robot. I told him where he could watch and stuff, and I was just like, "Hey, have you have you seen Mr. Robot?" He said no, and I recommended it. And then the Equifax thing happened. I was like, "Have you seen Mr. Robot yet?" He's like, "No." I was like. You should really watch that show. He's like, why? What, like, is is that good? I was like, you should. I'm not gonna say anything, but you should. You should really watch that show. This would be a very good time to watch it. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely need to. I need to finish it, but I thought it was really good. They had like a couple little key things that really hooked me in early, like. Um. I don't know. They mentioned using like the GNOME desktop, which is like the desktop environment I use on my PC at home, which is all Linux stuff. So if you're not into Linux, you probably don't care. But uh, very nerdy niche things. When I saw that, I'm like, oh, oh, okay. I see what you did there. You didn't just have the matrix string of text going by. You actually using something legitimate. Yeah, no, they they actually they they do the research. It's impressive. I mean, they have uh, there's several websites where you can go and every episode they break it down. It's like this is the tech that was in this episode. This is what was shown. Is this realistic? And it's like yes, this was correct. Or it's never a no though. Is the thing like if if there's anything close to no, it's like eh, it was slightly traumatized. It's kind of correct. They fudged up a few things, but it was for the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, right. You're pretty much spot on there. I enjoyed it, though. So I recommend it to anyone else who is thinking about watching it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess technically, like, favorite show on TV would be Mr. Robot, then. Um, I'm just saying that because, you know, I said BoJack for my other show, but technically that doesn't count because it's Netflix. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what he meant. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah, it's all the same thing. IPTV and stuff. I just I I watch everything like online now. Really, I don't. I, I'm a I'm a cord cutter. I don't have cable. So, never had cable. At least not myself. I've never had a cable bill in my name, and I I hope I never do. It's kind of like a personal goal of mine as I get older. <laughs> so, no. Uh, next thing here, Grimdo is asking. Sorry, we just we've been getting wrapped up in these conversations. But uh, any ideas on the next classic retro emulator release, like the Nintendo Super Nintendo? Maybe a N sixty four would be nice. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, what I foresee. I mean, you went uh, kind of down the Nintendo route there. What I foresee is more. I don't know other different game consoles maybe coming out first. And I'm trying to think of which ones might, because Sega's not really in the hardware game anymore, but maybe they could release a Genesis Classic. They So, um, At Games has licensed Genesis Classic through Sega. So, is there one on the market already? Uh, I believe it's in Brazil. If it's not out, it's coming out. Oh, okay. So, there's one. Um, Atari has done something interesting. Oh my god! Um, uh, let me. I don't remember what it's called. Um, the Atari Box. But basically, they released a. Um, yeah, the Atari Box. That's right. 
And it's basically a Linux PC that is okay in specs, comes preloaded with a bunch of Atari games, but is just running Linux. So um, cool part about that is you could literally swap it out with a different Linux distribution. Interesting part about that is that it's probably not going to be like in play maybe. Like, I don't know. No, I it sounds think, a little more complicated than your average. Yeah, like, no, that, you know, that's why I was classic. like, this is not going to, this is not going to appeal. To, I looked at, it, I was like, this will not appeal to the, uh, the classic audience, and the classic audience, like the people who want, you know, little emulator stations with preloaded games for under hundred bucks. Right. So, um, and it's going to be a little bit more expensive. If I, <laughs> I'm correct, I'm not sure if we have a price on here. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting. The nerdy side of me is like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm probably not going to buy it, though. Yeah. Oh, no, I looked at it. I was like, uh, uh, hopefully it has an audience. I'm not paying for it. So I, like, I'm not buying one. I'm not the audience there. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, well. Man, my st- I should have eaten before the show, dude. My stomach is just making all sorts of grumbly noises right now. That's essential, man. <laughs> I didn't even have time. And, like, that was... That was the first thing I did as I ran home, like threw my stuff in the microwave, like just absolutely gorged myself for like 10 seconds and <laughs> kept going. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, because I didn't get hungry until like 30 minutes in the show. I'm like, oh, damn it. <laughs> oh, Where's your Soylent, man? Uh, in the fridge. The, the show just kept go- going, man. It's been back and forth. So I haven't like run in- into my, uh, my fridge to get a Soylent. I mean, you should have had it on deck. I should have, but I didn't. Don't blame me Mistakes. for being fat. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It sounds like it's the opposite in this scenario. You're just not eating. Shame. 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 Blah. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. So X41 in the chat is saying that uh, it sounds like it's uh, people are... Uh, estimating the Atari box is going to be between 250 and $300, which I'm sh- sure it could be worth it depending on the hardware. Just I just don't see it selling. Yeah, we'll see. I, I don't think it's going to sell very well. I don't really know what audience they're trying to, um, they're trying to gun after really. Um, Cause it's a, it's an Atari looking system with a bunch of Atari games on there, which I'm sure a potato can play. And then they're putting Linux on there, which as you said, I'm like, I just, I, if it, it, it should have just been something simpler and cheaper in my opinion, that that's how they could have fixed this. I mean, fixing it before it comes out, but I'm like, they could have just made a little Atari box classic station, similar to what the Nintendo and super Nintendo classics are for like 50 bucks. Right. The boards that are inside the NES and the SNES Classic are way more powerful than they need to be to run those games. Um, in fact, the board in the NES Classic, I believe, is the same exact board that's in the SNES Classic. Yes, so it is. It these is. are really cheap boards that they're just marking up the price an insane amount. I guess, you know, you have licensing fees, but for it sounds like Atari was just like, oh, we will do that, but like one up it. And I know that ta- Atari's. I think they were marketed a little bit more as like personal computers kind of way back in the day too. That was like, you know, like a computer that ran games kind of like the, I think the Commodore was a little more like the Commodore was like that, but the Atari, like the 2600, the 7800, those were actual games consoles. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just really trying to 
draw some lines that don't exist here on why they chose to do this. And I just, I don't, I don't know. I can't really figure it out. I guess my thoughts on it as well too, not just with the Atari thing, but he was asking about classic consoles in general. Uh, I think the next one we'll probably see is the N64 classic. Uh, people will definitely scoop it up, buy it, whatever it is. I made a video where I talked about, you know, my thoughts on a PS1 classic. I'd absolutely love that. Uh, do I think it's going to happen? Probably not, but um We'll see what happens. I think with the N64 Classic, they'll probably use the same board they've used for the Nintendo Super Nintendo Classics, but maybe do a few upgrades here and there on it. But it'll probably be the same or very, very close. Modshop uh, just asked a question. Um, what kind of watch is that? I assume you're talking about my watch. I don't think you have a watch, Danny. Uh, I have a little, uh, I think it's a Fit. It's a Fitbit, like one of the these small ones. I don't know the exact name of it but mm -hmm. just a little thin Fitbit. Okay, well, uh, you have a Fitbit. I have a, it's an Android Wear watch. It's actually the Fossil Founder um, first gen. I got it on sale for $125 in February. Um, it runs Android Wear 2.0. Uh, no heart rate sensor. It's pretty minimalistic, but I like it for notifications, and it was very cheap at $125, brand new. So, um I enjoy it. It's nice. But when a really good Android Wear watch comes out, hopefully in the next year or so, I'm going to be tempted to upgrade. Mm -hmm. I think um, w with my Fitbit, because I upgraded from a Vivo Fit, uh, which is Garmin's variant, and I just did not like their uh, interface and everything. But uh, this is just over 100 bucks. I've enjoyed it. It does have a heart rate monitor. So it's actually been nice because I get to see how I'm sleeping, You know how my heart rate goes throughout the day. I really like checking all that stuff. Um, and then it also has really nice integration into apps because since it's Fitbit, everything utilizes Fitbit, which is great. While as Garmin was just in its own little sect of the community and was really annoying and couldn't connect to any of my other apps properly. Um, so I've been happy with this. Uh, I don't use any of the smartwatch capabilities or anything. I don't show notifications on there. The only notifications I get are, hey, you've met your step goal or, hey, maybe you should walk around. Yeah, I have become addicted to having notifications on my wrist, to be honest. It's something that I feel really anxious about when, like, I don't have it. And I have, like, my notifications managed in a good way. So, you know, like, when I get a notification, it's meaningful. But seriously, like, if I don't have my watch on those days, I'll, like, look at my phone and see, like, I have a text that's, like, three minutes old. And I'm just like, ah, I wish I knew about that immediately. <laughs> I know we've, uh, we've discussed I may not have wanted this, to, like... Uh, I was just gonna say I know we've discussed this before and that's why like when when I text you because I'm one of the types of people like I might send like a string of two or three text messages and with Devin I'm just like no one big text I do prefer one big text even without having a smartwatch when people would like I would have friends that like text me like they were on IRC or something and would just like have fractions of a sentence go across the wire and I'm just like stop just please so the reason why that is a thing, which one of my coworkers does that, and I need to ask him about this, but another one of my best friends, he texts and talks like that. And one time I just asked him, like, why do you, why, why is it that every text you send me is only like two to five words? And he told me that he used to be in chat rooms all the time. And because there's so many people in there and the text just scrolling, you have to do small, uh, like small messages and short messages. So that way everything can get sent out and like people will actually read it and it doesn't get lost in the jumble. Yeah. I mean, that's what I've heard from most people too, is that they're just like, Oh, I just was on IRC a lot. And I was like, me too. But apparently I just wasn't in the same kind of chat rooms you were because <laughs> I never had this issue before. 
but what I don't can know. You do? Yeah. Oh man. Either way, I think uh, it looks like we've gotten you know good messages. We've uh, we've got well good questions. We've gotten through these, and overall, dude, this uh, shout out to the chat. You all have been awesome this episode. Yeah, absolutely. It's been nice to see everyone being active, even when I can't watch it constantly. It's a good feeling to see the the words scrolling by. I try to. I make sure the chat is like I, I have to kind of reiterate this to people. That's why I kind of occasionally drop into chat because a lot of people they'll just be messaging. They're like, "Are people reading?" It's like, "Yes, I'm reading it, but I'm not acknowledging it because it's just with a podcast. I'm, I have to think of it, you know, in the live sense, and then people who are going to be watching or listening to a pre-recorded version of it. And for anybody, it would be annoying. Like in in live, it might be fun, but for a pre-recorded version, it's going to be annoying if you know we're talking and getting into a topic and we keep deviating back to chat. Right, right, right. So much appreciated. You know, no hate. Hope you guys come and hang out the whole show next time too, because it's it's definitely a nice feeling to see everybody in there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, one thing uh, I wanted to do as well too, um, we can kind of wrap up here. Um, but actually I, I wanted to do this at the beginning of the episode, forgot, was going to do it in the middle of the episode. Then we start talking about the pixel. Um, so, you know what, I'll just do it at the end here. And I wanted to uh, kind of give a shout out to this site. Now just saying this is, um, I'm friendly with the owner. I'd say I'm friends with the owner, but I do genuinely like this site. I want to get on there more as well too. Um, and because of some stuff that's happened recently um, in this community, which I'll talk about briefly, I want to kind of plug this. Uh, I'm not being paid though. This is not sponsored, nothing like that. Just being completely transparent. Um, and I'll kind of show this on screen as well too. Devin, I know I'm kind of springing this on you, but <laughs> it just I just thought of it now. Um, but no, for anybody, I just want to say this real quick. For anybody that might be interested in either modding or game preservation, game archives, betas, prototype stuff, whatever it is, I'd highly, highly, highly recommend checking out Obscure Gamers. If you want a TLDR of it, it is essentially a not even a spinoff, but it was at first the refugee camp for uh, Assembler Games when Assembler Games went down for several months uh, and we'd lost that. So the owner of the site, Demon, ended up taking it upon himself to uh, make this website very similar to Assembler. And I really, I liked Assembler, I really did. Uh, but recently, because of just some change in administration, because of a lot of things they're adding in, um, I just don't recommend Assembler anymore. Uh, and this has been in the past like week or so because some drama and all that. But I want to see this site thrive. I want to see it do well. Um, and it has a community. It just needs more of it. But it needs some traffic. So uh, if you all are interested, in it, as I said, you know, modding, game preservation, prototypes, if you want to, you know, either get anything or maybe even get dev hardware you're interested in collecting, whatever it is, Cannot recommend this site enough. It's great. Highly recommend the Obscure Gamers. I'll try to remember to put a link down below in the description. I'm done. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. I haven't uh, I haven't checked out the site. You, I don't even think you've told me about it yet, so I'll have to go check it out myself. Got a little homework next week. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I'm sorry I didn't. I was going to I was gonna text you about it, and then I was going to bring it up at one point. I was like, I just, I kept forgetting because we were talking about everything else. Yeah, there's no shortage of chatting whenever we hang out, but that's what makes it for a good podcast, I think. It's just always funny because we have to like restrain ourselves at times and be like, no, 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 like let's not get too deep into this. Let's save it for the podcast. Let's save it for mod chat so it's raw, you know, um, much more natural, much just you know our, our first impressions on a lot of stuff. So, absolutely, it's a weird balance. Yeah, it is. It is, but oh well. <laughs> 
what can you do? Anyways, Devin, where can uh, people find you on the internet? If you want to find me on the internet, if you want to hit me up, um, I am in the Discord. If you're not in there, feel free to like uh, go hang out. There's some good people in there. I pop in for time to time. It's funny because I'm the co-host, but I'm more of a lurker. So um, if you're in there and want to hit me up on something, feel free to ping me. It's at Paranoid Coder. That's also my Twitter handle, at Paranoid Coder, again. And um, yeah, no spaces, no underscores, uh, just Paranoid Coder. So try and keep it easy, but feel free to hit me up wherever. Um, yeah, I'll be around hopefully here next month. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. We'll have you around. <laughs> and as for, uh, you? as for myself, I mean, you can find me pretty much everywhere in all major social media sites. I'd say Mr. Mario 2011. Um, we do have a discord as uh, Devin mentioned. It's not mod chat specific. It's more like Mr. Mario 2011, uh, hangout place. Uh, but link is going to be down below in the description on the YouTube site here or on VidMe, wherever you might be watching this. Can't really put them on, uh, what is it uh, on Podbean? Uh, but either way, if you want to check us out, you know we're on uh, iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, YouTube here, of course, VidMe, uh, and then all of our individual social media links will be in the description as well too. And again, we definitely appreciate the viewership here. Uh, this has been really nice so far. I think the the worst thing we've had in the uh, in the comments here was. Uh, one guy who was, <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, Devin, but one guy kept asking about how to mod online on Grand Theft Auto V, and uh, the, 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 the people in the comment section were not having any of it. Yeah, no, I, I caught a glimpse of that, but <laughs> it could be worse. Yeah, yeah, no, everyone on there was just like, no, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out, get <laughs> out. <laughs> we have good people. We have good people. Anyways, this is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for watching, everyone. And uh, hopefully we'll be uh, talking with you all next month. Peace.